Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. Hi, Julian DeStoop here. On the podcast today, we spoke to Australian test star Steve Smith, who joined us to preview the Boxing Day test. And he also had some very strong words directed at former Australian captain Ian Chappell. Plenty of footy on the menu with the AFL's head of broadcast and scheduling, Marcus King, following the release of the 2021 fixture. We also spoke to new Werribee senior coach in the new VFL competition, Michael Barlow. And Port Adelaide veteran Brad Evert spoke about life after footy with his venture into the wine industry with Hay Diddle Wines. Also on the show, former AFL strength and conditioning coach Cameron Falloon. He spoke about body fit training. Well, Daniel Garb joined us to talk about the world game. Welcome to SEN Mornings, uh, Julian DeStoop. With you this morning, uh, big show coming up. Uh, plenty of footy on the agenda and plenty of cricket as well. Uh, highlighted by a chat with Steve Smith uh, just after 11 o'clock. So we'll chat to him all about that amazing first test in Adelaide uh, and the build-up to the second test uh, at the MCG. All the talk in the lead-up to the first test was uh, about the Australian lineup, how they're a bit unsettled, what are they going to do? And it's completely flipped after that performance in Adelaide. Uh, India are going to make mass changes. They lose their captain. Uh, they lose one of their best bowlers. So we'll speak to Steve Smith uh, all about that uh, after 11 o'clock. As we mentioned, plenty of footy on the agenda. We're going to talk in about 40 minutes' time to Michael Barlow, the new coach of the Werribee Football Club. So what a year. Uh, for Michael Bala. He had signed to coach uh, Yarraval Seddon in the Western Region uh, Football League, uh, but then Mark Williams got the job at Melbourne, where he needed a new coach, and they turned to one of their favourite sons in Michael Barlow, who's been a player there. He's been a, a player and an assistant coach, and now he'll be the senior coach in 2021. So we'll chat uh, to Michael Barlow about that. Brad Ebert, uh, the retired Port Adelaide star, he and the Port Adelaide skipper Tom Jonas have a, uh, a wine business, Hey Diddle Wines, and they're doing a great Thing, uh, over Christmas and the New Year period by raising some money for the CFA uh, just after, or well, less than 12 months after fire uh, ripped through uh, parts of South Australia, of course, terrible fires in Victoria and New South Wales. So we'll chat to Brad Ebert uh, about that uh, very shortly too. We'll chat to Marcus King, uh, the head of broadcast and scheduling for the AFL. The AFL fixture uh, was out yesterday, so we'll chat to Marcus about uh, some of the things they're doing, some of the things they might have learnt uh, from 2020 in terms of fixturing that uh, feature in the fixture next year and may feature uh, in the fixture going forward. Also going to talk uh, the world game with Daniel Garb. Uh, this coronavirus outbreak in New South Wales has some potential ramifications for the A-League. Uh, there could be some announcements uh, on that today. We'll also look back at the year it has been uh, in the world game. And also a developing story really over in England in terms of Matt Ryan, the Socceroos goalkeeper, who has been left out of the Brighton side in the Premier League in uh, recent weeks. So what does that mean for his club future and how big a concern is that for the Socceroos uh, heading into 2021? We'll also chat to Cameron Falloon, who's a former strength and conditioning coach uh, with the Western Bulldogs, uh, Port Adelaide, and also the Geelong Footy Club. He's, uh, he's the CEO and the founder of a business called Body Fit Training, which is... Uh, 
becoming a powerhouse in Australia. A lot of uh, high-profile sportsmen uh, have franchises. So we'll chat to Cameron about that. But uh, before we do all that, I'd love to get your thoughts uh, on the fixture and uh, what you liked about it, what you don't like about it, what games you're looking forward to. But also, before we do that, let's have a listen uh, to Travis Old, who was speaking uh, on Drive uh, last night to the boys, Anthony Hartson and Damien Fleming. First of all, about the footy frenzy. Then he goes to, on to talk about uh, Thursday night football. I do like the idea of the footy frenzy. I think there were some silver linings in 2020. One of them was concentrating your efforts in a particular region um, with a number of games. And So I don't whether it's this coming year or in future years, I would like to see us do some more of that. Um, at the moment, we're just getting that first six rounds out. We want to make sure that works. Obviously, got AFLW on our doorstep. And, and so whether we have to compress or whether we look to have a footy frenzy, um, whether it's next year or not, I do think it's something we'll see again. You tend to be able to build the Thursdays around um, either the start of the season or your buy rounds. And so we'll at least have another four or five Thursday nights around that, that mid-season buy period. Um, uh, and so if all goes to plan, then there'll be about eight or nine um, Thursdays in total which is sort of similar to past years. So that was Travis Old uh, speaking on Drive last night about the footy frenzy. The footy frenzy sort of came about by necessity uh, in 2020 uh, due to COVID. So it doesn't sound like we'll see a footy frenzy in 2021 unless, uh, fingers crossed, it doesn't happen. But uh, COVID uh, affects the AFL season uh, once again. Uh, But would you like to see it potentially in the future? Do you like a lot of games of footy uh, back-to-back-to-back or do you like a few days before your matches uh, so we can build into the next round? But Thursday night footy. So in 2019, we had eight Thursday night games. You heard from Travis Old there. There's five uh, in the opening five weeks. And then once again in that mid-season buy period, uh, which coincides with school holidays, uh, there'll be some Thursday night matches again. But is it enough? Why don't we play Thursday night footy uh, every week. Um, I, I can't understand why we don't do that. I mean, it, it spreads the, the rounds out very well. We've got five matches on a Saturday uh, right now, uh, and one or two of those games get lost every week. So if we had a Thursday night, potentially we could have uh, a standalone game on a Saturday night, which is obviously almost another blockbuster game, which would be uh, attractive to the clubs. It would be attractive to the broadcasters. We've seen Thursday night footy, not so much in Victoria, but certainly it's been a massive success in Adelaide. The Adelaide Crows have made a bit of a spectacle of it, uh, sold out uh, matches in Adelaide uh, for Thursday night football. It's been a success in Perth as well. Um, we could spread it around the country. We've seen the Thursday night uh, Easter match uh, be reinvigorated between uh, Brisbane and Collingwood, and we've certainly seen some big crowds uh, for those matches as well. So eight or nine matches is good, but I can't understand why we're not going the whole hog. It's great for the broadcaster as well. I know it's not all about the broadcaster, but it is a significant uh, part of the game. It's another blockbuster game, a standalone game uh, in the AFL season, which can't be a bad thing. So just interested, do you share my thoughts on that? Do you, do you like Thursday night football? Do you just like a sprinkling uh, of Thursday night football? Or would you like to see it uh, more regularly and at least uh, you know once a week and uh, really spread that round out? Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday, Saturday night, and then a Sunday finishing with a Sunday twilight game uh, to really spread the round out and give ourselves even more uh, standalone uh, games, which I, I think is good for everyone. But uh, you might think, think a little bit differently. And certainly the flexible fixture as well. When we spoke about this uh, on afternoons yesterday, certainly a mixed response, uh, particularly some people from Perth and South Australia who uh, you know got involved on the temper text. And you can always join in 0433 
98 11 16. And of course, give us a call, 1300 736 736 on the open line. But uh, certainly some fans from non Victorian clubs don't like the flexible fixture. They like to see their fixture, they like to see when their team uh, is playing every week and what day um, and what time, and they like to book uh, trips. So is that a bit of a concern? Uh, for the fans as well. So love to get your feedback on that either on the temper text line or give us a call 1300 736 736. Now yesterday also on afternoons we spoke about uh, the big teams of the last year or the four dominant teams uh, that we've seen uh, in the AFL. Uh, of course the Hawks who won three premierships, the Lions that won three in a row, the Cats that won three out of five and also the current day Tigers who have won Three of the last four. And uh, so that was uh, all those teams were analysed in the Herald Sun yesterday. Now today, uh, Mark Robinson has named his best 22 uh, from those four combined clubs. It features seven Lions, two Tigers, seven Cats and six Hawks. So I'll read through uh, his best 22 and then I'll be interested to get your thoughts. And we'll talk about this a bit later uh, in the show as well. So... From Robbo's point of view, he's gone back line. Chris Johnson, Matthew Scarlett, Josh Gibson. Halfbacks, Luke Hodge, Justin Lepich, Corey Enright. Centre line, Nigel Lappin, Simon Black, Jimmy Bartell. Half forwards, Dustin Martin, Jonathan Brown, Steve Johnson. Fords, Cyril Rioli, Jared Ruffhead, Jason Ackermanis. Uh, followers, Brad Ottens, Michael Voss, Gary Ablett. Interchange, Joel Selwood, Sean Burgoyne, Sam Mitchell and Trent Cochin. Uh, and he's... Obviously got two great captains there, or three great captains to choose from. He, he's he gone Luke Hodge uh, as the captain, home of Michael Voss, Joel Selwood, and obviously Trent Cochin is a triple premiership uh, captain as well. So keen to get your thoughts on that uh, throughout the morning as well. It, uh, we love a list, and uh, it's amazing we've had four of these great teams in an era where the competition is designed uh, to be equal. But uh, the first 21 seasons of uh, the new century, we've seen uh, these four teams be absolutely outstanding. We've got a couple of calls uh, on the line. You can join us at any time, one 736 736 Daniel from Hampton, first up, wants to chat about Thursday night games. G'day, Daniel. Hey, Jules, how you going, mate? Good, mate, yourself? Um, firstly, the Hawks in uh, Geelong, they were in compromised drafts for Probably 10 years, that's why they were so dominant. No, I'm not sure. I'll pick you up on that. I'm not sure about the Cats. They they won the last of their flags in 2011, and the Gold Coast came into the comp in 2011. So I'm not sure they benefited from uh, compromised drafts. Yeah, I'll give you a fair enough. Um, Great. Thursday night games. I'm sort of maybe different than everybody else. I like them, you know, especially there's no footy show on now. You know, front bars not bad to watch, but it's sort of good to come home. You know, footy starts, it feels like the start. The weekend sort of rolling on. You go, here we go, start another day of work or whatever. You can relax and start to unwind for the weekend. And, you know, even I was probably one that didn't mind the shorter quarters neither. But, uh, you know, probably not all the time, but it was good having that footy frenzy there for, for a couple of weeks where you had footy on, you sort of finished work and the footy starting. And then there was another game on where you're eating dinner and it didn't finish too late. It was like 9.30, you could go to bed, get up and sort of watch a bit of sport. And, yeah, I just think that Thursday night, like pretty much in line with you that uh, you know you're not cramming everything into a Saturday. You're watching Saturday night games and there's another game going on behind mm. it. You don't even sort of see the scores. So I didn't mind sort of stretching out a little bit. Thursday night I thought was better than Monday night. 100%, yeah, I think Monday night footy, that won't be coming back any time soon. I guess there's two arguments with this, or there's two different ways of looking at One, it's from a broadcasting point of view. And I think everyone agrees they love watching a game of footy on a Thursday night when it's on the tally. But I guess the second question is, in terms of 
do you like going to Thursday night football? So I guess from your point of view, Daniel, I'm not sure. Who do you follow? I'm Brisbane, so I don't get too many games. You're Brisbane. But if you <laughs> if, if Bruce, okay, if Brisbane were playing in Melbourne in a Thursday night game, would you go? Or would you just sit home and watch it on telly? No, absolutely. It's good for you. Um, I would a bit of both. So I have been to a couple of Thursday night games. I'll go to a lot of games in general. If it looks like it's going to be a good game, I'll go anyway. Um, I don't sort of mind. Uh, maybe probably is because I follow Brisbane and I don't get many games. But just love footy. So I'll go to, doesn't matter who's playing. If it looks like it's going to be a good game or, you know, sort of, you know, miss tickets or for whatever reason, I'll all sort of watch it on TV. So I don't miss many Thursday night games. Yeah, interesting, Daniel. Thanks for your call. So we've got one tick there uh, for Thursday night football. Certainly off the temper text, we're getting uh, mixed results. Uh, some saying they hate it. Got another one here saying, Jules, I would have spoken to 50-plus blokes between pub, work and golf, and 100% of people want Thursday night football. So mixed response uh, so far on the temper text machine. Get involved, 0433-981116. Now let's go back to the phones. Uh, Blackie, a regular caller from Plenty, uh, wants to have a chat about Thursday nights as well. G'day, Blackie. Hey Jules, yeah, just that and, and about Essendon playing at Geelong, but this is a Thursday night, I, I actually like it, I'm a Carlton man, so our first two games are Thursday nights, what I like about playing Thursday nights, it's less of an opportunity to play on a Sunday, now I've got three kids involved in footy and they uh, two play and one coach and the, the competition's on a Sunday, so... It means they, they get to go. It means I can get to go and watch them uh, do their stuff on a Sunday. So for me, yeah, the less opportunity to play on a Sunday, the better. I mean, it's, it's great anyway on a Thursday night to sit down and, and watch a game of footy. But as a Blues fan, if we got to play on a Thursday night, don't mind it even in the middle of the winter, as long as it's not at the G. If it's at the Dome, then yep. middle of winter, it's still OK. Now, the Geelong um, Essendon Gate, bad time. That's great by the AFL. They fixed Richmond there when Richmond weren't uh, any certainty to make finals. Carlton have been there the last three seasons. And now when you look at Essendon, Essendon are no certainties to play finals, so they've drawn them there. That's that's great. The last the last hurdle for the AFL is when Collingwood is <laughs> in that same situation where at the, at the start of the season they don't look like being any certainties to play. they got to be fixtured there, and then, and then that'll stop... Uh, everyone talking about, uh, you know, Collingwood getting a favourable draw and and, and whatnot. Uh, if it's good enough for Richmond, Carlton and Essendon to play at Geelong, it is certainly good enough for Collingwood too. Yeah, I've got no problem with the Bombers playing. That was tongue-in-cheek uh, before we got on, just saying the Bombers shouldn't have to go, but I think it makes sense. It's interesting to see what happens with this country game now. It hasn't quite taken off. Uh, so they're not playing at the MCG at all this year, Geelong and Essendon. They're playing in Geelong. So uh, it's be interesting to see... Um, when Marcus King joins, it's just what the feeling is about this country game between Geelong and Essendon. But, yeah, Collingwood haven't played uh, in Geelong since 1999. But right now, they're still, as you say, they're, they're a top eight team. They're a top four team, potentially, and we shouldn't be playing the Magpies down there. But uh, where the Bombers are at, I think it makes a bit of sense. Uh, before we get to the break, uh, let's chat to Pat from Notting Hill. G'day, Pat. Hey, Jules. How are you going? I'm well, mate. Yourself? Yeah, not too shabby. Um, actually disagree with a lot of what you're having to say there because... And obviously everything gets a big tick because of all the craziness and the hubs and COVID in 2020. But the footy frenzy highlighted some really bad games with nothing else to switch over to. So personally, I like the round kicking off on a Friday night and finishing up about five o'clock on a Sunday. And if that crams a lot of footy in, then fantastic. It means that I can turn off a rubbish game. 
and put a really good one on because the quality of footy in 2020, if I actually had the ability to get out of my place and not be locked down, I would have been off doing a whole lot of other stuff because we spread it really thin and a lot of nights there we got absolutely rubbish games of football and when you spread the fixture thin, it highlights bad football. Yeah, I agree, Pat. I'm not sure of the footy frenzy idea. I don't like games every night. Um, I, I, look, I love my footy, but I think we need a bit of a gap. And I think you need a bit of a build-up uh, to games and a couple of days to, to analyse and then preview the big games uh, coming up. I just think Thursday night football should be a regular thing, just to spread the round out by one more day, give some of the games on Saturday uh, a bit more focus. Uh, I think that would be a good thing. But I'm, I'm with you. I'm not sure we need a footy frenzy where we have... 14, 15, 12, whatever days in a row of football. Uh, but I'd love to see uh, Thursday nights. But we'll put all those questions and a few more to Marcus King, the AFL head of broadcast and scheduling. What a year to try and do a fixture and, and satisfy broadcasters. So we'll chat to Marcus King after the break on SEN Mornings. Geelong again, though, out of the middle through Andrew Buse. Long, high kick. Ablett in front. Good ball there by Grenfell, but Stoneham. answered quickly. Big Barry Steinem at centre-half forward. And now the margin out to 23 points. Round 21, 1993. The last time the Bombers ventured down to Geelong. That day, it was a 32-point win for the Cats. Barry Stoneham, that man you heard there, 25 possessions and four goals, two Brownlow votes. Johnny Barnes got the three Brownlow votes, 27 disposals. And a pretty handy player got the one with 29 disposals and three goals, Gary Buddha-Hocking. So the Bombers and the Cats, a whole generation of Essendon fans and Geelong fans would have never seen these two teams play at... Uh, or Cadinia Park, or GMHBA Stadium, it's now known, uh, but it will happen in round 16 in 2021. Joining us on the line now, the man that is the brains behind the fixture, and what a difficult job that has been uh, in 2020, uh, the AFL's head of broadcast and scheduling from the AFL, Marcus King. It's been good enough to join us this morning. Morning, Marcus. Morning, Jules. Uh, I think that's a, a bit of a stretch. Um, but, yeah, thanks for having me on. <laughs> uh, now, when you put the fixture out, you and your team at the AFL there, uh, this time, well, probably 13, 14 months ago now, you couldn't have foreseen what was going to happen in 2020. Just from a fixturing point of view, how much of a nightmare has 2020 been? Not only have to rejig the fixture on the run, trying to satisfy <laughs> broadcasters, uh, all the COVID restrictions that are around it, just what sort of year has it been for you and the, and the scheduling team in there at the AFL? Oh, it, it has been a challenge, Jules. Um, and if I think back to October last year, I think we were pretty happy with the fixture we put out. And then you get to March and, you know, we have the shutdown and you you realise that you, you're going to have to re-fixture. And it's, uh, it, was a, it was an element of disappointment at that point. But then you, you know, you've just got to get on with the job. And, and, and since then, we've, you know, we've had the scenario plan and, and, um, and draft various fixtures throughout the year as... as um, you know, border restrictions have changed, and uh, between uh, March and September, we probably did a hundred different versions of the fixture, um, you know, adjusting as we needed with with borders opening and closing. And so, look, it, it, that's taken some time, Jules, and um, you know, I owe some time to my wife and family. <laughs> fair to say, over yeah. over summer, but um, you know, we I think we're you know we're relieved to have got through the year and. Um, you know, I think as an industry, it's been a challenge, but we've come together and, and shown we could adapt. And I think that bodes well for next year. Yeah, fingers crossed we don't uh, have COVID affect the footy season again. But obviously, it forced the AFL to try a few different things, or by necessity, really. When, when you look back at the 2020 fixture, 
what did you like? And we're talking about things like footy frenzies here and shorter breaks for clubs. And what things did you like? What things did you learn that didn't work? And uh, what things do you think we could see in the future? For example, could we see a footy frenzy style again, whether it's 21, 22, 23 in the years to come? Yeah, well, I think there were a few things that, um, as you say, we tried um, that that worked quite well. And, and they, they served a purpose this year. So, you know, the compression fixturing, as an example, you know, allowed us to, to play, to bank games, to play more games in a shorter space of time. And, and you know, I thought the industry came together really well to, to support that. So, I, you know, in a fixturing sense, that, that openness to playing more games in a, in a shorter period or off maybe shorter breaks, you know, allows maybe for a bit more flexibility in the future. Um, it, it's not something that we've, we've built into the baseline for the fixture for next year, but that's a, it is an example of, of, of um, the industry adapting where we need. And, um, you know, I think that's, uh, that's been important. Um, yeah, also, you know, some different time slots. I heard you earlier talking about the Thursday nights and Sunday nights and, um, you know, those slots, I think, are particularly, um, you know, positive for fans in a broadcast sense. Um, and, well, we, we're not looking to to uh, utilise those as often next year uh, at this stage. Um, I think it's shown that, you know, if, if, we, uh, if we need to, that those slots can be very well received. We've dipped the toe in, in terms of Thursday night football. We're going to have nine or ten again next year. Uh, we had nine the last... Uh, fixed 2019, the last fixture that was unchanged, we had nine. Why don't we play them every week? It's a good question. Um, we, we get, as you can imagine, we get a lot of feedback from from fans and, and clubs um, about different time slots. And and uh, depending on the fan, you know, some fans absolutely love the Thursday nights. Um, and then there's others, you know, particularly families who you know, don't mind the occasional Thursday, but from an attendance point of view, they can be challenging. Um, uh, in those evening slots, so so we try to find um, the balance here, and you know we're, we're working towards you know nine or ten Thursdays for next year, as you said, and you know also trying to time those in and around school holidays so that you know we can get the best of both worlds um, in, in looking after fans and, and allowing them to access the footy. Chatting to the AFL's head of broadcast and scheduling, uh, Marcus Kim. We're talking before also about uh, the Bombers going back to Geelong for the first time. Uh, in, since 1993. Just talk to, to me about the reasons behind that and what does it mean uh, for this country game that Kevin Sheedy, it was Kevin Sheedy's idea. It hasn't really taken off yet. What do you think the future is for that fixture? Uh, well, I think you've got two clubs who who are both invested in that fixture and each year they they, they come to us and, and seek, well, they, they put forward that idea and they're open to, you know, when and where the game occurs, but they they're very keen to activate around it. And my understanding is that you know with the game in Geelong, they'll be activating or wanting to activate in the same way they've they've done when it's been at the MCG. Um, you know, I think uh, yeah, the Geelong, Geelong in particular are very happy about that game down there. Um, it's not something that we force in the fixture, but it's a product of um, you know Geelong's opponents. Um, and, you know, you'll see that Geelong have got, still got a couple of games at the MCG, you know, in the Hawks on Easter Monday and then Richmond later in the year. And, and, and so we, we felt that, you know, Essendon um, was, was not a bad game to put down there. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's a good move, the, the Bombers uh, playing down in Geelong. One thing that uh, was sort of forced upon 
this year was the fact that the Dreamtime game was played in Darwin. It was a, it seemed like an overwhelming success. No surprise that the Bombers and the Tigers are headed back to the MCG uh, this year. There will be games in Alice Springs and Darwin in uh, the Sir Doug Nichols round. What's your thoughts on that Essendon-Richmond game going forward? Will there be a time where you can play it every now and then in Darwin, given it, it was such an overwhelming success it appeared this year? Yeah, it was terrific, wasn't it, Jules? Um, I think it was one of the real highlights of the year, um, that that game in Darwin. Um, well, I, I think there's potential. Uh, as you say, the, the match is uh, scheduled for the MCG next year, um, and that'll be great for, for fans in Victoria in particular. Uh, we'll, we'll look to you know, work with Essendon and Richmond and understand you know, how they see um, the match going forward um, and whether there's any interest in uh, in playing that in Darwin again at some stage or, or anywhere else. Um, so I think we we look at it with an open mind, um, but, but for next year, certainly in Melbourne. So beyond round six, it's a, a bit of a floating fixture in terms of uh, the scheduling of the matches and on what day and what time. So when you get to sort of, you know, re-looking at the fixture and, 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 and rescheduling the, or, the, or scheduling those matches, what are you looking for in terms of the of the big slots? Is it is it teams that are up near the top of the ladder? Is it style of football that teams are playing? How will that sort of be determined as the, as the year goes on? Yeah, good question, Jules. I think it's a combination of of factors. Uh, I think you know we want we want fans to have access to the best games, uh, and so when we we think about that, um, you know, we we'll want games on you know in those Thursday Friday slots. Um, that are that are relevant, you know, that involve teams that are that are uh, you know in the eight or, or vying for the eight, um, uh, and that are playing good footy. Uh, I think we also, you know, will look to have a bit, as much spread as we can. And you, know, you will have seen in the first six rounds, we've got 14 different teams featuring in those prime time slots, which is fantastic, and I think a reflection on the competitive balance at the moment that we have. Uh, but but I think there is interest in in maintaining that spread throughout the year. So, so they're, they're some of the factors, uh, Jules. Um, uh, but, I, you know, I think the, the approach we've taken does provide, you know, fans and industry with some certainty around, you know, who's, who's playing on which round and which weekend, but, but also that ability to, to really optimise those, those big slots, which I think would be great. Chatting to Marcus King, uh, Head of Broadcast and Scheduling at the AFL. Before I let you go, Marcus, if I'm uh, scheduling a grand final function for the end of the year, should I be thinking the game's going to be at night or during the day? Yeah, well, it's a, I know it's, a, it's an important one to fans and yeah, it's something that, we're, um, that we'll look at and, and make a decision on, I think, you know, in the new year. Uh, clearly, we had the, uh, the night final this year um, and you know, I think the feedback was... You know, mixed on that, you know, a number of fans loved it, some didn't love it. Um, you know, I think we will take all that on board and work with, with, with you know, also with clubs and and um, broadcasters and others to come to a to a view in the new year. Well, Marcus, thanks for your time. It's been an incredibly difficult year for a lot of people at the AFL, particularly in broadcast and scheduling and fixturing. So I hope you get a a well deserved break uh, with your family and uh, look forward to chatting again in twenty twenty one. Sounds good, Jules, and um, happy Christmas to you, and thanks for having me on. Marcus King, the head of broadcast and scheduling scheduling from the AFL off the back of the AFL, releasing their 2021 fixture. Uh, Craig from Coburg North, hang on. We'll get to you after this news break.
Welcome back to SEN Mornings. Julian DeStoop with you. Uh, plenty more to come. Uh, new Werribee coach, uh, Michael Barlow, uh, not too far away. Just a reminder, Steve Smith, uh, the star Australian batsman, will join us uh, just after 11 o'clock this morning as well. But uh, we're talking the AFL fixture uh, so far this morning. Thursday night footy, footy frenzies, night grand finals, uh, mixed Response on the temper text so far about Thursday night footy. I'll read a few of those out uh, very shortly. But uh, Craig has been waiting patiently from Coburg North. G'day, Craig. G'day, John. Thanks for taking the call. Yeah, just a quick point. Uh, why is it every year that the opening game of the season is Carlton-Richmond? It, it just doesn't seem right to me. Cause it, only, it only caters for the supporters of two teams. And certainly for people outside of Victoria, non-Victoria, you know, it's a game of little interest. So, you know, what, in your view, is um, the rationale for that? Well, and why uh, shouldn't they mix it up? I was going to ask, before I answer that question, who would you like to see play round one? I mean, a lot of people have got, say, it should be a grand final rematch. Uh, what would you like to see in round one? Well, I don't think there should be any kind of set tradition of it at all. It should just be a mix. One year it could be uh, Port v uh, West Coast. Another one it could be Essendon v Frio. It doesn't matter. I, mean, I, I don't... It seems to give an impression that some clubs are more special than others, you know, which contradicts the whole equalisation type thing. And yeah, it's, it's never seemed right to me. And... and uh, you know, other people I talk to, I, I just don't get it. Mm. Yeah, I think a lot of people uh, agree with you, Craig. I, I quite like Richmond Carlton. I think the problem for it has been that uh, the games, not that they have been blowouts, but Richmond have won a lot in a row. And I think the AFL's just been waiting for Carlton to come and make this and get a win on this day to make it a really big, just to add to the fixture a bit. And I think Carlton and Carlton are building. Richmond are obviously the reigning premiers. So I don't think it's going anywhere soon. I don't mind it, but I do understand uh, that people would like to see it move around. I don't think grand final rematch first up uh, is the way to go. I'd like to see that a bit later in the season. I think this year, round eight, uh, is a good slot for it. But uh, yeah, there's certainly a lot of people that are a little bit fed up with Richmond and Carlton, but it's always a big crowd. Uh, it's always rates uh, really well. So I think while it's uh, doing both of those things, um, it will stay. In, and I think the important thing in round one is just to make some other marquee matches as well. Friday night, obviously, next year is going to be huge. Collingwood uh, and the Western Bulldogs, uh, given the Adam Trelaw factor. But, uh, Craig, I think a lot of people uh, do share your point of view. Uh, go to a break very shortly and get to Michael Barlow. But just a few off the temper text uh, on the... Fixture, uh, first one here. I go to every Bombers game in Melbourne, Thursday night games for TV. Does the league want people to go to the games? Kids don't go with school in the morning. Late night returns from a match doesn't sit well with work in the morning. That's from Darren from Ringwood East. Uh, Barking Mad in Dingley has an opposite view. Lock it in. Thursday night footy is a winner. It's my favourite night to watch footy, no matter which teams are playing. Then Joseph points out here, we're talking about uh, the the big clubs playing in Geelong saying Richmond won the flag the year they played in Geelong, but that was 2017. Got to remember they were coming off 2016 when they were a bottom four side. So the expectations weren't that high going into 2017. And that was a huge match late in the season that I'm sure in, uh, if everyone knew Richmond were going to be that good, that game would have been uh, scheduled uh, for the MCG. Another one here, happy enough to watch footy on a Thursday night. Prefer, would prefer if it wasn't, but hate going to the footy on a Thursday night, which is disappointing as I bought my home game reserves seat for me and the kids. Much too late at night for midweek by the time we get home. And certainly if you've got young kids, I completely understand that another one here saying, uh, why did Geelong the only team not to get 11 home games on their home ground? Well, they do have a couple of big drawing games 
uh, at the MCG. Uh, they've got Richmond and they've got Collingwood, I'm pretty sure, as a home game this year as well. And last one here. AFL have stuffed the early fixture. They shouldn't have scheduled big crowd drawing games early as COVID-19 may restrict attendance. Should have moved Richmond-Carlton to later in the year so if vaccine works, more can attend and they can cash in. Great for TV too. So keep uh, your thoughts coming through on the temper text machine. 0433 98 uh, 11 16. You can always give us a call on 1300 736 736. After the break, we'll chat to new Werribee senior coach and former Fremantle docker and Gold Coast son, Michael Barlow. Welcome back to SEN Mornings. Julian DeStoop with you. Michael Barlow, the new coach of Werribee, not too far away. Just one temper text that has come through here asking how many non-Victorian clubs have played each other on a primetime Friday night after the last over the last 20 years from Bruno. That's a good question. Don't know off the top of my head, but big opportunity next year. We see uh, the first showdown and the first derby. Uh, they are scheduled after round six, so we don't know what night they'll be on. Great opportunity to put those games, if the teams are going pretty well, on a Friday night. I think a lot of Victorian fans would much rather watch a quality derby or a showdown than a match uh, between some Victorian teams. So let's hope uh, the AFL take that on board for 2021. One man knows all about playing in derbies is former Fremantle Docker, former Gold Coast Sun, and uh, Werribee legend Michael Barlow, who's going to coach the Bees in 2021. He's been good enough to join us on the line. Michael, uh, welcome and congratulations. Yes, morning, Jules. Um, not sure how much longer I'd remain a legend if I muck all this up now being the head coach. But no, but going in very confident and uh, and, and very humbled, I suppose, uh, by the opportunity. So it's yeah, it's been a whirlwind uh, week, week and a half, I suppose, since um, the wheels got in motion um, with with the approach from Werribee and um, yeah, some some big decisions to make. But now that it's all said and done, it's uh, onwards and upwards, and, and time to really the teeth into it. So how did it all unfold? Obviously, Choco got the job at uh, Melbourne. Um, so how did it all unfold from there for you? Yeah, no, as I said, it was, it was happened really quickly. So CEO Mark Penaluna made contact um, pretty quickly after Choco had accepted the role um, with Melbourne. I've been liaising with Choco um, a lot. I speak with Choco you know, very, very regularly, but he'd reached out um, and kind of given me uh, a consideration that you know, it's something I, I might uh, be approached about and, and, and what it might look like and that he, you know, fully endorsed me from, from his end. So that gave me a lot of confidence. And, and from there, it was talking to the really important people at the club, the you know, some of the leaders uh, in the playing capacity, the coaches that um, have been a part of the fabric for some time. And, and I suppose just getting their nod of approval or, or their lay of the land around what it might look like if I was to come back um, or, or put my hat in the ring for the job. So... Um, once all those discussions were had, you know, I presented uh, Thursday last week and um, over the weekend was, yeah, was offered the job. So um, one which, yeah, as I said, incredibly humbled. Unfortunately, um, I have to step away from Yarrable Seddon commitment in the WRFL, which I was really looking forward to and, and had started um, you know, really strongly and, and loved the enthusiasm of that group. So yeah, there's been some hard conversations across the last couple of days as well, um, as well as you know, the good news, um, you know, there's some, some other things that I really had to consider um, and had to, to make sure I showed some character and put the hand up and was really kind of open and honest with, with a lot of those discussions. Well, you're unbeaten at Yarraville Seddon, so you had a fantastic record uh, <laughs> as a coach. I noticed you said uh, that you're going to try and continue to help them out. How, how will that play out? Yeah, so it's, um, 
you know, Dave Bongetti, footy manager there, and Rick Halliwell, the president. As I said, I was really open from from the moment I was approached with the Werribee situation, um, and it wasn't ideal for them. But I wanted to make sure it was not a case that if I was to be offered the job, I was ringing them, um, you know, on on Monday this week when it was just about to to go to the press. So we we had some some lengthy discussions around what it might look like, you know, if if the opportunity presented at Werribee, which it ended up. Um, has been being the case. So, being you know, living that side of town, and I live in Newport, five minutes from Yarraville, um, there will be you know opportunity once a month to, to go down and and continue an involvement with them. It's important from my point of view as well. Um, I think as you know a PD piece to to stay engaged in, in another capacity and um, make sure I have some some flexibility and some variety in in what I'm doing and um, you know Yarraville. Have, have supplied that opportunity. So um, keen to stay involved at some capacity with them, albeit not the 100% capacity it was going to be. It might be, you know, 5 five or 10% capacity. Talking to you, Werribee senior coach uh, Michael Barlow, you've done everything at, at Werribee. You've played, you've been a playing assistant. You're also doing a sort of a community officer role there in 2020, given there was no footy. Just take us through uh, what that involved. Yeah, I, I probably reflected on this yesterday, Jules, around my involvement with Werribee. It's gone 13 years, I reckon, nearly to the day. Um, so about 13 years ago, I, I still remember the day driving down to, to go to training and, and try out for a spot in the list. I'd just trained at St Kilda for six or eight weeks and uh, had missed out on a rookie spot. And the next uh, progression was from playing Shep United um, to go to the VFL. I'm actually at Shep United's home ground at the moment, taking a a footy clinic with Brett Delidio. So it's um it's all consuming at the moment, Jules. But went down to Werribee, uh, essentially walked in, Mark Penaluna, the CEO at the time, offered me a contract. And, and from there it was, yep, I'm, I'm super keen to play and, and be involved. Um, and let's get started. And 13 years later, I've done a lot of roles. I've um, been involved, yeah, community engagement officer, playing, um, assistant coach. And I was even the mascot. Uh, at a Wee Rama festival, <laughs> very very early days, I was in the tiger suit, and it was nearly my first official commitment um, as a Werribee Tiger. I made sure I included that in my presentation to the to the coaching. <laughs> got you across uh, the line, uh, so, yeah. Selection panel, and um, that got me across the line. So, uh, yeah, no job is too big or too small for me, Jules. But I'm not sure if I'll be jumping back in the tiger suit. No, no, you'll do anything for the club, but you might not have to go that far. I noticed you were doing some fitness training with the likes of Gareth Hall this year, which. That is a significant challenge, uh, but we'll, we'll, we'll forge on now. It's an interesting time to be taking over in the VFL. Obviously, it's, it's almost a new competition. Uh, we've got the new rules that are being trialled uh, in the competition next year. Have you got your head around those? And as a first-time senior coach, uh, how difficult is that going to be to coach the new rules that uh, none of the players have been exposed to before? Well, yeah, it's, it's, I've got a loose understanding of them at the moment. Um, I was really you know, committed and and investing in what, what the WRFL looked like until essentially late late last week. Um, well, I probably look at it as a first-time coach as, as a bit of a... Um, it might bring me back, um, you know, a little bit closer to those guys that have been doing it, doing it forever because it is a new landscape and no one really knows what it's going to look like and, and how to adapt and how to actually um, how to actually make an advantage out of the new rules. So... Um, from my point of view, I'll, I'll look at it as a, as a positive. Um, you know, and again, I, I spoke earlier about the coaching group I've got at my disposal: Nick Daffy, um, Tom Perrett. We've got Matt Lobie, who's going to be a playing assistant. 
guys that have been involved for, for 12 or 18 months as a minimum at, at that club. So we've got some real stability in that space um, and we know each other really, really well already. So um, we'll have some good brainstorming sessions around the new rules. Um, but I think the, the main point of it will be to, to coach the skills, um, invest and, and really um, get to know the players on an even deeper level than, than we already do give ourselves a chance to be successful. Yeah, you mentioned Matthew Loby there. Wiley Buzzer, uh, the former Cat and Port Adelaide forward, has come on board as well. We've seen some really good players come through the Werribee system and now become good AFL players. Sam Collins, uh, Jake Riccardi emerged this year. When you're coaching a VFL team, what's that balance between you obviously want to win, but at the same time you'd love to de- some, develop some players that can go on and play at the highest level? Yeah, and I think it goes from players um, right through to staff, like some interns that we have at the club, um, coaches, um, footy manager, CEO. We want to make everyone better people and, and more successful people. The best way to do that, I feel, is to, to run a really successful program um, and and to be competitive. I mean, what were we last year? We, we went within a, a kick of, of going to a preliminary final, and um, you know, Jake Riccardi was probably the bene- yeah was the beneficiary of of our really consistent year as a team to get an opportunity in the draft. But um, we actually had uh, Jeff Andrews, who was senior assistant coach, go over to um, South Australia and get a, get a gig in the sample um, as a head coach as, as well. So there's some really good um, success. And Choco, I suppose, goes from being the head coach at Werribee to getting back into the AFL system um, when it would have all seemed seemed lost for him for, for some time off the back of success and running a really good program. So that's that's our main I suppose, objective is to be successful, to win, to go really well. Um, and from there, the other stuff organically starts to grow. We get, we can get players drafted. We can, um, you know, really develop interns that, that are finishing off their degrees to hopefully go on into, into their pro, the chosen field um, that, that they're looking to, to advance their careers in. So I've got a pretty holistic approach to it around a, a club perspective um, and of which the players are a, a very, very major part. And, I think we had uh, Connor Manager was a part of the yep. list without playing a game. He gets back on a list. Um, and this is with all due respect to Connor. He's a great player and going to be a good player at North Melbourne. Um, I speak really passionately that I think I've got, we've got, well, I've got now seven or eight players at that capacity, um, at Connor's capacity that could go and, and make a real run at being an AFL player, which uh, buoys me with a lot of confidence. Oh, using the word organic, you are sounding like a coach already, uh, Michael. Uh, you've played under a couple of great coaches and, and at times eccentric coaches in Mark Williams and Ross Lyon. Is there a bit of those two guys in your coaching style? Will we see a bit of a bit of Choco and a bit of Ross emerge at times? I think there there'll be elements of. I already used a, a Chocoism last night um, on our Zoom meeting when I was announced to coach the playing group and staff. Um, he has a. A, a knack of always saying oh, that's pretty cool. So I use that as my um, opening opening statement to the players, and it's pretty cool to be given this opportunity. So it's um, yeah, it, there's going to be a little bit of, a little bit of Choco, a little bit of Ross. Uh, what I think has been a real um, uh, oh, I suppose a bonus for me across my playing career and in my coaching career is associating myself and attaching myself to really good people in that space, like Ross, um, uh, like Choco. But also, I've lived a lot of the experiences. I've been delisted twice, so yeah. I understand the disappointment around you know, non-selection, um, injury, uh, those harder conversations where you sit down in the room with a coach and uh, it's uncomfortable, but you know it, it is necessary. Um, 
So I've lived a lot of those experiences, which I think gives me a, a real leg up into the job. Not to say it's all going to be a, a walk in the park. That's going to be far from the case. But um, I'm pretty excited by by what it all um, what it all holds. Uh, looking forward over the next you know week, it's already getting to work and, and getting involved with it. Um, but at the same time, you know, it's a longer term plan as well, two year contract. So don't want to rush into everything. Want to um, yeah let everything develop. At a nice, um, a nice pace. Understanding that I've got a really good understanding and lay of the land uh, of the Werribee Football Club already. Well, Michael, great to chat. Uh, congratulations to the club. That means a lot to you. And uh, good luck, first year senior coach in twenty twenty one. Thanks, Jules. Much appreciated. And um, yeah, I'm sure we'll be chatting very, very soon. Good to hear you on the airwaves. Um, and you weren't lost to the media space for long. You're a star, and we'll chat very, very soon. Uh, thank you, Michael. I didn't ask you to say that, but uh, very nice. Uh, great to have Michael Barlow on the line. Plenty more coming up on SEN Mornings. Welcome back to Mornings. Julian DeStoop with you. Plenty of AFL in the first hour. We'll change tack and talk the world game uh, coming up after the news. What does the COVID mean for the A-League? What should we expect in 2021 with Daniel Garp? Welcome back to SEN Mornings. Julian DeStoop with you. Plenty of AFL in the first hour, but we're going to ter- uh, change it up a bit and chat the world game. Uh, plenty going on with with the A-League about to start. Obviously, this COVID cluster in uh, New South Wales might for- force a change uh, in the fixturing. We might even get some news on that uh, later today. And plenty going on uh, in the Premier League. If you missed the scores this morning, uh, a 3-0 win for Chelsea over West Ham in the uh, London derby and Burnley. Finally found some form. They beat Wolves uh, 2-1. So we'll chat some Premier League. And also the future of Matty Ryan's getting really interesting uh, at Brighton, Australia's first choice uh, goalkeeper. To chat all that and more, joined by one of the great football commentators in the country, Daniel Garb. Morning, Garby. Hello, Jules. How are you, mate? Very well, thank you. Very well. Your Reds are flying. We'll get to the uh, Premier League uh, very shortly. But obviously we had the A-League launch uh, last Mm. week. We're not too far away from starting the season, but we do have some teams based in New South Wales. Um, what do you think is going to happen in terms of scheduling? Is there going to be some changes uh, made to get this season underway? Yeah, you'd think so. I mean, I can't see the Sydney FC-Melbourne City game going ahead on Wednesday the 30th, purely because you know Melbourne City would have to travel to, to Sydney or travel back from New South Wales, wherever they are right now. Hard to, to keep track. And then, you know, quarantine at some stage. I mean, the game's scheduled to play in Sydney. So... As per the laws right now, they'd have to quarantine for two weeks. So I can't see that game taking place. Surely that's postponed. What happens with the New South Wales opener, Western Sydney against MacArthur? Is the new team entering the competition a, a Western Sydney derby to start? Does that go ahead or, or does the current cluster in New South Wales mean you know, that game is either postponed or played behind closed doors? They've got big decisions to make over the next 24 hours. You do feel for them because this has just crept up on everyone and, you know, at the start of a new season when there's you know a bit of excitement around and after all the drama of the last campaign that we all went through, it's so difficult to to manage. But could there have been a plan B? Have they been, been ready for something like this? I'm not sure they have been, but at the same time, you've got to have some sort of sympathy. So, you know, in the next 24 hours, maybe in the next couple of hours, we'll know some more details on that. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. We've seen, you know, with the AFL this year and, and Cricket Australia as well, they've been pretty quick uh, with their plan B coming out. You have to be, as Gil McLaughlin said several times this year, agile and, and flexible. Um, you sort of touched on it there, but it, I mean, I'm sure they're working hard behind the scenes, FFA, but just seems to be a lack of a plan B, at least publicly anyway. Yeah, I think so. I think they probably thought we're out of the woods here and... 
you know, the Victorian crisis has dissipated and uh, it's all smooth sailing from here and they haven't really been set up for, you know, the event of, of something like this. So, yeah, you can knock them a little bit for that. But at the same time, I think they were just hoping to to get the season up and going with a bang and, and only focus on that. They should have had something ready in case there was another outbreak and it doesn't look like they've had a plan B. So they're going to have to come up with something pretty quick and, and move some fixtures around. Hopefully, mate, the numbers in New South Wales are low again today and, and we're staring at a, a prospect of this only taking place for a couple of weeks. We have a couple of postponements, maybe two weeks to a month. Now, four to five postponements, and that's easy to manoeuvre around. And, and to be honest, most of the games can take place in front of crowds. That's probably a scenario that uh, is realistic, and hopefully that's the case. Massive season for the A-League. Obviously, last year was was disrupted and, and no crowds, as you mentioned. It just feels it's been treading water for a couple of years. How, how big is this season for the A-League to not get back on track? But to, as I say, it just feels like it's been treading water for a couple of seasons. Yeah, it has. It's an enormous season because it's the final year of a broadcast deal. So they've got to generate some sort of excitement in order to, to lock something in for, for next season. Now, I think rugby leaving Fox Sports and going to Stan does help football get another deal with Fox potentially. Will it be near the same level of finance as what they've got right now? No, but getting some sort of broadcast deal, as we know, is, is imperative. And, you know, with the way things were, that was looking unlikely. Rugby moving probably entices Fox a little bit more to, to be interested in the A-League and, and to keep that partnership going to ensure they've got a summer sport and more content and so on and so forth. And it probably plays into football's hands. But at the same time, football's got to lift its game. And you know, they've got to get some, some excitement back and, and generate a lot more community um, you know, fanfare as well. And, you know, I think the big teams having bigger seasons will help that. You know, very optimistic about Western Sydney Wanderers. I think they've been super aggressive, you know, in terms of what they've done in the off-season with their coach recruitment and player recruitment. They've shown a bit of arrogance again, and that's great because when they're up and going with their crowds, that adds a lot to the competition. And the same with the Melbourne Victory. I mean, they were horrific last season. We know that. They've been super aggressive as well in terms of the players they've been able to acquire. I think Grant Bretton has done a great job in the off-season in terms of attracting talent. Now they've got to match it on the pitch. If they do that and the Wanderers do that, the likes of Sydney FC, Melbourne City, Western United maintain their form, and the new club, MacArthur, does well, you're looking at a lot of big New South Wales-Victoria games, Jules. Big derbies of hopefully bigger crowds, and that will provide a better spectacle that can lift the league. So, yeah, the onus is on the big clubs to lift it and the league in general because, yeah, it is a critical time in the last year of a broadcast deal. Yeah, 100%. We heard Grant Brebner on SEN last week. And, uh, yeah, they certainly have made some pretty exciting sightings. The Melbourne Victor. I want to talk to you about Matt Ryan. I've been noticed you've been uh, pretty active on Twitter about this. He's been mm. the number one uh, at Brighton for a few seasons now. But that doesn't seem to be the case anymore. How big a concern is that for the Socceroos with World Cup qualifiers around the corner? It's massive. It's a concern for him, obviously, at the moment. I mean, it's, it's come out of seemingly nowhere that he's been dropped from the squad as a whole, from the whole. Maybe there's been some talk there with the manager and Graham Potter and, and the relationship has broken down for, for some reason. But the fans have targeted him. They're not happy with his form. Doesn't seem like he's made a litany of obvious mistakes or anything like that. But there's obviously some issue there with his form and, uh, and he's paid the price right now. Now, it's a big issue for Australia because you know, we're going into a massive year of World Cup qualifiers as we step towards the next World Cup in Qatar. Australia moves into phase two of qualifying soon, which, as we know, is incredibly difficult and hugely competitive. If Matt Ryan doesn't get a move in January to another club, he's staring at the prospect of the next four to six months on the bench, not playing regular football. 
And then Graham Arnold's got a big call to make because Mitch Langerak is flying in Japan. He's broken the single-season clean sheets record there. So all of a sudden, he's staring at the prospect of Matt Ryan sitting on the bench, Mitch Langerak starting, which was unfathomable two weeks ago. And Matt Ryan's been a critical player for five, six years for the Socceroos. The other aspect of this is that Matt Ryan was a nailed-on lock for the next permanent Socceroos captain. Yeah. The way in which he speaks, his age bracket, his profile, it was just a no-brainer. If he's not in the team now, come those qualifiers in March, that's another quandary for Graham Arnold. Who does he go to? And to be honest, there's not an obvious choice there. Trent Sainsbury, maybe, but his form has been up and down. There's also Graham Arnold's son-in-law. They might not feel comfortable about that. Aaron Moy and Tom Rogic are good options, but neither of them enjoy being the public face. Both are pretty truculent with the media. That's a big part of the job. They don't enjoy being front and centre. So Matt Ryan was the obvious choice. If he's not playing, that's something for Graham Arnold to think about. So, yeah, it's a big one for Australian football all around. We got it. We always like to see young talent coming through uh, in the A-League and obviously then progressing on to the Socceroos. Have you got a couple of names for us that we should be looking out for that, that could feature in this Socceroos squad over the next 12 to 18 months? Well, Alamobile is the big one. He's already broken through and played well for Australia. We saw that at the last Asian Cup, but he's been playing Champions League football this year. He's played against Liverpool and Ajax and Atalanta in their group for his Danish club, Michelin. So he's one of the big ones to to come through, of course. And I think in the next phase of qualifying, we're playing regular games on home soil. Uh, I think Australian football fans and, and sports fans will start to become a bit more synonymous with Mobile, who's a, a big talent. The other one is Harry Souter, who's a big centre-back playing for Stoke Drills in the Championship and flying. He was named Stoke's Player of the Month. They're up around the playoff places. He plays week in, week out. Big beanpole striker, the Scotsman who we managed to recruit because he's got a, an Australian mum. And he's doing so well in the championship. So he's all of a sudden a, a lock, I think, in Graham Arnold's first 11 coming through. Daniel Azani's back. He's back playing for Utrecht. So you know we know how big of a talent he is. And obviously, Australian fans know a lot about Daniel Azani from the last World Cup. But he's over his ACL problems right now and, and back in the team. So there's a few there to get excited about, no doubt. We'd like a couple more. But uh, I think there's enough talent, especially in the attacking positions now, for Graham Arnold to build on something come the next set of qualifiers. But obviously, it's going to be hugely competitive and a difficult task to make yet another World Cup. We touched on the Premier League before. I'll get your thoughts on how it's a fascinating title race. Obviously, Liverpool, once again, look like the team to beat, particularly after a couple of results in the last week. But we see right now, you know, London in lockdown. We had a few thousand fans coming back to matches in London. They're now being closed behind closed doors. We've gone to tier three, tier four. Coronavirus in the UK is a massive problem once again. We saw the Premier League season interrupted last year. What chance will get through uninterrupted this time? Uninterrupted completely, I'd say slim. There's already been one or two games postponed. But they're just so desperate to make sure football carries on because you know, they're in such a depressing state there at the moment. And anyone who's ever lived in the UK during winter, I mean, it's so damn cold. It's dark at 5pm anyway. You've got nothing to do. Football is getting them through. So it's much the same as, you know, Aussie Rules did for us and the AFL did for us during our lockdown. So they've managed to put pretty good practices in place that the numbers haven't spread amongst the players and officials as much as they are, obviously, in the community. So obviously they're doing a great job and hopefully that maintains. You'd be surprised if there weren't a few postponements, but it seems as if they've got things pretty much intact. And even when numbers do creep into a certain club from time to time, I think we saw a, uh, the pandemic you know, go through the Newcastle team and they had a game postponed. They were able to recover pretty quickly and keep the season going. There aren't 
you know, major blocks in the in the campaign as of yet. So I'd say that people are pretty confident that'll be the way of it for the rest of the season, and we get a finished a finished campaign. They put good practices in place in order to to ensure that happens. So hopefully. It stays that way, Jules. Really tight at the top at the moment, which is something we haven't been able to say for a couple of years because it's been Liverpool, yeah. Man City, and then Daylight. Uh, Liverpool certainly look like the team to beat. You know, a couple of great results, beating Spurs and then putting seven past Crystal Palace on the weekend. Uh, can you see anyone taking the title off them? And if so, who are the most likely? At this stage, probably not. I think Liverpool are warm favourites for, for a very good reason. I think they really showed in that game against Spurs They've just got a different mentality. You know, Tottenham played pretty well in terms of their counter-attacking game style. They had big chances in the second half, didn't take them. But Liverpool just stay in games right until the end. And they're so confident they'll conjure up chances and then take them. We've seen that for a couple of, of seasons now, much like the great Man United teams in the past. I just think that the level of quality they've got in the squad is there and they've still got players to come back, like Thiago, who's just absolute world class. But the mentality is just so strong. And there isn't a team in the competition right now that I think can go with them in that regard. It's a marathon. And you've really got to be at your best week in, week out. I don't see anyone else matching them. So I do think Liverpool go back to back. But Manchester United are playing some fantastic football. And away from home in particular, they are carving teams up. I think it's six wins in a row away from home now. They're only two points off the Reds if they win their game in hand. So that's going to be an interesting one if it becomes a Liverpool-Man United title race. Spurs will stay in it. Chelsea had a big win this morning, as you said. I don't see anyone running away with it, even if Liverpool do win it. It's not that kind of season. It's going to be too hard. The fixtures are too packed up. We're still going to have basically an absence of fans inside grounds, which still creates that neutral venue-type feel. There will be slip-ups. So I see it being a lot closer, but I don't see anyone going with Liverpool. But United, Chelsea, Tottenham, and Leicester are still there. Pay them a lot of respect. I think we'll all be in it for a lot longer than people may have predicted pre-season. And just finally, uh, A-Rod, our panel man, is a mad Arsenal fan. He is worried they're going to get relegated. He is sweating bullets at the moment. Should have asked, How much worry should Arsenal fans have of the way this season is unfolding? Is A-Rod still at Esther? Yeah, and he was there when I was there about 15 years ago. He's, he's a cockroach. Can't get rid of him. <laughs> he's a good little man. Um, big fan of, of A-Rod. Good to see him still there, contributing in a big way, no doubt. Yeah, I know he's a big Gunners fan, and Arsenal fans have... I don't think they have too much reason to be seriously concerned about relegation. I mean, they'll get out of that, you would think, at some stage. They simply have to. Can you imagine the sporting story, Jules, if Arsenal are relegated to the championship? That just trumps everything for a long, long time. But then, you know, at this time in 2016, in that season, we were saying, can you imagine if Leicester win the Premier League? That just trumps everything. Can't happen. And it did. So... You know, you wouldn't completely rule it out. I think they get themselves out of it. But the big question right now is how long does Mikel Arteta get? Because a club as big as Arsenal Football Club can't be in a position as catastrophic as this. This is just ridiculous. How poor their form is. How big of a shadow of the former club they've become. I mean, Arsenal are an attacking team that we've loved to watch in the Premier League. They're the worst attacking team in the competition at the moment. Statistically, it's proven since the October break. They have absolutely no creativity about the way they go about things. So, Mikel Arteta seems lost right now. He seems like he's lost control of the player's mentality completely. It's, you're seeing red card incidents in almost every game, so they're losing their heads. You know, he's got one or two games, surely, to try and get some results and instill some confidence, or else he's got to go. You can't let this continue, as much as it was a long-term project and a process with Mikel Arteta. 
you're Arsenal Football Club. You can't be languishing in a relegation fight come the new year. So for me, he's got a couple of games, if that, or else they've got to make that call. Whatever happens in that regard, I think they get out of it. But it's just a horrible position for them to be in, and there doesn't seem to be much leadership at the top level to change that. The recruitment and everything they do at the moment is just so far off the pace for the big club. Yeah, worrying times for Arsenal fans over Christmas and New Year with a lot of matches uh, coming up. Daniel, great to catch up to talk all things football. Have a great uh, festive season, and we'll chat again in the new year. Thanks, Jules. All the best, mate. All the best to the listeners as well. Have a great Christmas. Great to chat to Daniel Garb about the world game. Plenty more to come here on SEN Mornings. So the way the quarantine has worked is with you're in a cohort. So if you and I are practising together, we're a cohort together, and let's say I get a positive test, then you and I and our both teams have to isolate for 14 days, cannot leave your room for 14 days, mm-hmm. um, no matter from the point you get that positive test. Um, but it won't affect everyone else because you would have been physically distanced or more than physically distanced from the other cohort. And the fact that you're in your hotel room anyway, you're not, there's no mingling allowed. Um, for an example, on the precinct, we've had to set up about 40 gyms. So when the players do their physical conditioning, uh, they'll utilize a gym. It'll only be shared with a few other players at different times. And each time it will be, be cleaned. Wow. So there's an, an incredible amount of work that yeah. goes into ensuring the safety of everyone. But uh, but one positive test won't form, won't cause everyone to be going to get into, into further lockdown. But that's also why the quarantine, everyone will leave quarantine around the 30th of January. And then there's another eight days before we start this round open. So if someone was positive towards the end, they would still have enough of a window to play this round open. So pretty much everyone will be able to play this round open if they're positive towards the end of their quarantine period. Yeah, great to hear from Australian Open Tournament Director Craig Tolley on breakfast this morning with Jack Heverin and Simon O'Donnell. What a tough task that is, trying to make sure, uh, if you can, the Australian Open gets off the ground on February 8th. And just addressing the, the question there about what happens uh, if a player tests positive and making it clear there that it, it's not a disaster. It doesn't mean the tournament has to be postponed. Uh, players are going to be just training in, in, in little groups, a bit like the AFL clubs did uh, when it was at its peak here in Victoria, where you just train in small groups and therefore if someone gets it, it doesn't affect the whole club. So that's sort of the approach uh, that tennis is taking. A reminder, not too far away, uh, Cameron Falloon, who's a former strength and conditioning coach with the Western Bulldogs, Port Adelaide and Geelong, speaking about uh, body fit training, which is his been his venture for three or four years now and uh, just going to talk a little bit about health and fitness and what he's learnt uh, in the, the uh, elite sporting uh, professions which he's now taken into his life uh, outside of an AFL environment so he is not too far away a few coming through uh, on the temper text just off the back of our chat there with Daniel Garb about uh, soccer uh, the world game question is what happened to the young guy at Celtic who did his knee that's Daniel Arzani uh, that uh, Garby mentioned there now playing uh, at Utrecht uh, in the Netherlands uh, and he's back playing football which is so exciting what a he burst onto the scene with Melbourne City, made the World Cup squad, uh, played some minutes in the World Cup, got the move to Celtic, and then um, pre- pretty much before his Celtic career started, uh, suffered an ACL injury. So very exciting prospect and hopefully back uh, playing for the Socceroos very shortly. Start of the show, we talked a lot about uh, the AFL fixturing, uh, talked a bit about round one. There was a caller suggesting that uh, they're a bit sick of Richmond and Carlton opening the season, which they will again next year. Uh, some mixed views on that as well. One here, short memories. Richmond were threatened with losing the first game because we were crap. Remember the Cousins debut debacle, torn hammy and an 89-point drubbing. That was in 2009, and that's a fair point. At the start of this 
traditional game. It was Carlton winning most of them, and then it's completely flipped on its head, and Richmond win most of them. But as we said before, it's not like Carlton's getting thrashed in all these games uh, in round one. And uh, well, I'd be highly anticipated, given that the expectations around Carlton and obviously Richmond, gee, that won't please Carlton fans. Richmond unfurling two premiership flags on that opening night against their one of their biggest rivals in Carlton. But they missed out last year and they'll get the chance to do it in round one. Another one here saying, I'm a Carlton supporter and I agree. The Carlton versus Richmond opener has probably gone a little stale given it's been rolled out to start every season for a while now. Change it up, AFL. We've also been talking about Thursday night uh, football. Personally, I'd love to see it every Thursday night. We're not there yet. Going to get eight or nine game, or nine or ten games again this season. There's Thursday night games uh, in the opening five rounds, then a few in the mid-season uh, as well. Uh, this one's saying, love Thursday night games. Half of them are played interstate Anyway, and most Victorian teams would have no more than two games scheduled on a Thursday night. So fans aren't really as much affected to complain about attending. Must have it every week. That's from AG. And one here from a North Melbourne fan. As long as North Melbourne keep Good Friday games. We pioneered this for Good Friday for 30 years and created Friday night football. That's only fair if the AFL are fair dinkum about equalisation when the fixture isn't. Now, North will play the Bulldogs again. So the first year they played the Bulldogs, I think they got about 42,000. The game was decided literally with the last kick of the game when Lindsay Thomas missed, basically, as the siren uh, was sounding. 42,000, they'd want to get that again. Uh, North Melbourne are doing everything right around the game. They haven't performed uh, last time. They got thrashed by the Bombers. 48,000 there that time. So uh, they'd want at least 40,000 again. Obviously, North Melbourne not expected to be a powerhouse on the, on the field next season. Uh, but, yeah, they'd want at least 40000 to make sure they keep uh, getting that game. Another text coming through here, too, saying a grand final rematch uh, would be the perfect season opener. Um, I, I like the grand final rematch a, a, a bit into the season. Sometimes the reigning grand finals are a little bit slow out of the blocks. They start training a little bit later and don't often click until a little bit later. So I think that the grand final rematch in round eight uh, next season uh, is a pretty good thing. Reminder to cricket fans, Steve Smith coming up on the show just after 11. We'll look at uh, a big build-up to the Boxing Day test and uh, just reflect on that amazing two and a half days uh, in Adelaide and, and a rare test victory where Steve Smith didn't contribute much with the bat, out for just one uh, in the Australian innings and obviously didn't bat the second innings uh, with uh, only a couple of wickets uh, lost. So uh, we'll sp- chat to Steve Smith uh, just after 11. Also, uh, retired Port Adelaide star Brad Ebert will join us uh, towards the end of the show to chat about a fundraising venture he's involved with with the current Port Adelaide captain in Tom Jones. Also going to take your calls too on this uh, best 22 of the four uh, generational teams of the last uh, 21 years that Mark Robinson has done in the Herald Sun. Get your thoughts on that as well. But let's quickly check in with the SEN newsroom. Thank you, Celeste. Uh, Chris in Batemans Bay, he is good. You can't get anything past him, and you, you've, you've caught me out. Very good point. Steve Smith was at the crease uh, with Burns when he hit that six uh, to win the test. Another uh, texter also pointing out that it might be tough to get 40000 for Good Friday if it is at half capacity. And obviously, if that is the case, it'll only be about 25000 at uh, Marvel Stadium. If you're just joining us, we were talking earlier in the show about... Uh, we talked about it yesterday on SEN Afternoons, uh, the, these four generational teams that we've seen, the Lions, three-peat, the Hawks, three-peat, uh, the Cats, three out of five, and also the current Tigers that have won three out of four. Mark Robinson has done the job in the Herald Sun today of uh, picking the best 22 combined of those uh, four great teams. Not an easy task, but in saying that, there is a lot of players 
that do pick themselves. So he's gone with, uh, I'll just read you through his 22, and we'll chat about this and get some talk about a little bit later in the show. So he's gone from the back line, Chris Johnson, Matthew Scarlett, Josh Gibson. Halfbacks, Luke Hodge, Justin Lepich, Corey Enright. Center line, Nigel Lappin, Simon Black, Jimmy Bartell. Half forwards, Dustin Martin, Jonathan Brown, and Steve Johnson. Forwards, Cyril Rioli, Jared Roughhead, Jason Ackermanis. Followers, Brad Ottens, Michael Voss, and Gary Ablett. And on the bench, Joel Selwood, Sean Burgoyne, Sam Mitchell, and Trent Cotcher. Now, he does explain in the article that Buddy Franklin and also Alex Rance were pretty much taken out of the equation because only played in one of the flags. He's not counting uh, 2008 uh, Hawthorne's flag. So that explains why, whether you agree or not, Alex Rance and Buddy Franklin are in the sides. Probably some of the ones that are unlucky there to miss out of Alistair Lynch, uh, Jack Rewalt, Dylan Grimes, uh, Mrs. Paul Chapman's another one that's a little bit unlucky to miss out as well. So I'd be interested to get your thoughts on whether Robbo got it right, got it wrong, horribly wrong. Close to being right. And then the fact there's only two Tigers in that team. There's seven Brisbane Lions, seven Cats, and six Hawks. And his article with Rodney Eade supporting him goes on to say that that's actually a compliment to Richmond, what they've been able to achieve. They're, they're such an even team. They're so well coached. And they've got a little formula there that's working right. So you could, you could argue that Damien Hardwick should be the coach of that team, given uh, he might have had the least amount of talent. Now, you might not agree on that, but I think a lot of people think when you line up those teams, and we know Richmond haven't finished yet, they might go on to win another one or another two, but most look at those Brisbane teams, Geelong teams and Hawthorne teams and think they have a little bit more talent uh, than the current Tigers team, and therefore that's an achievement for the whole club and particularly the coach, uh, Damien Hubbard. In terms of the captain, you can choose Luke Hodge, Michael Voss, or Joel Selwood, uh, or Trent Cotchin. They're all in, the, in Robbo's team. He's gone for Luke Hodge just uh, uh, over Michael Voss. So interested to get your thoughts on that. Temper text 0433 or give us a call 1300 736 736. We're sort of going to keep caught talking some AFL after the break when we talk to Cameron Falloon, a former strength and conditioning coach with the Bulldogs, Port Adelaide and also Geelong. He stepped away from foot. He started a, a business a couple of years ago, a fitness business, and uh, it is flying. So we'll talk to Cameron about that and some of the lessons he learnt at AFL level after the break here on SEN Mornings. Welcome back. Julian DeStoop with you on SEN Mornings. A reminder, Steve Smith, the Australian star batsman, not too far away. We'll speak to him just after 11 o'clock. A reminder, catch the Vic Bread Super Series New Year's Eve from Tabcorp Park. 12 Group 1 races live on 7, mate and simulcast on SEN Track. Well, now we're joined by Cameron Falloon, a man that's uh, worked extensively in the strength and conditioning uh, part of AFL football with the Western Bulldogs at Geelong and Port Adelaide. He's now got a business. Uh, he's the founder and joint CEO of Body Fit Training. We know uh, this year with COVID, uh, exercise has been tough for some, but it's been very important for their mental health as well to keep it up. So we're going to chat to Cameron about that. He's been good enough uh, to join us on the line. Morning, Cameron. Morning, Julian. How are you going, buddy? Very well. Uh, great to have you on the line. First of all, tell us about Body Fit Training. Uh, yeah, Body Fit Training is a, um, a group training, sort of boot in the boutique, boutique fitness space. Um, we have sort of loosely modelled our exercise programs off what, what you might see in an AFL club, um, AFL being a, a really hybrid sport where the athletes have to be very strong in their aerobic capacity, but also their strength and their, and their speed and power. Um, so we, we tailor our programs weekly around sort of three key pillars, which is targeting every energy system, um, targeting the, the different muscle fibre types, fast and slow twitch, and also um, working through as many 
fascial planes as we possibly can. And what that means is a sport like AFL, which is a 360-degree sport, um, the players have to be really conditioned, you know, for tackling and um, uh, taking marks in the air and being hit and contact in the air. So we, we, we use that as a general philosophy to make sure that we're training our body um, in as many fascial planes as we possibly can. So this is something that you founded. Just take us through how the idea first started from your point of view. Yeah, as as you said, I, I was fortunate to spend a, a bit of time at a few AFL clubs and um, through that working in the gym with the guys, we, we used to vary programs up. We used to do a lot of circuit training, um, sort of strength endurance and power endurance programs, just ways to keep them engaged but to maintain their conditioning um, both during pre-season and in-season. And I got out of football and was, was deciding on whether I'd get back into sport or um, maybe pursue something else and spend a bit more time with my wife and, and children and um, just started working on um, this business model. Group training was trending globally around the world. Um, sort of high-intensity training was also trending globally and I just thought that there was a gap in the market between CrossFit, which was sort of an extreme form of strength training um, and, and doing really well globally and and then at the other end of the spectrum was, you know, your Orange Series, um, F45 and a few others where it was really just aerobic based. And um, I thought there was a really big gap in between the marketplace that could do with some uh, programming that had a little bit more strength and conditioning to it, um, but still harness that, that energy and, and the, um, the, the fun of the group environment, which is what people experience in team sport. How's COVID affected the business this year? And also, I mean, it's been tough for a lot of people to get out and exercise when they're in lockdown, but how important would it have been for people and people now that are facing this in New South Wales to, even though they cut, at times they couldn't go to a gym or they couldn't even go out for a run really, to, to, to keep fit and how important that is for your mental health as well? Oh, look, absolutely. We, we know that um, your mental health is absolutely linked with your, your physical health, um, hence the saying healthy, healthy body, healthy mind. Um, it's been really challenging for a lot of people around the country. I think Victorians in particular have been really hard hard hit. Um, gyms in Victoria were shut for 32 weeks, um, whereas other states weren't as hard hit as what Victoria was. Um, you know, you, you just saw so much unfortunate bad press that was a little bit misleading with regards to how unsafe gyms were, but there's been very few cases around the country and um, a lot of people have turned to online programs and, and whilst they, they've served their purpose and they've kept people moving um, through COVID, nothing really replaces being in the gym or, or being in that group environment or you, even if it's your local running club, it's just that connection with humans and um, being being a part of a community, I think people have really, really missed and we've seen a, a significant and really positive rebound in all of our studios around the country and, and even in New Zealand and Singapore uh, and the US since restrictions have lifted that people have just wanted to get back, not just to the gym, but to their community. Because exercise for a lot of people is an outlet. It's their, it's their one hour of the day or their 45 minutes or 50 minutes where they just switch off from the rest of the world and it's a, it's a place for them to do something for themselves. And I think that's been um, a real positive for our business and other health and fitness businesses coming out of COVID that uh, those that have been locked down for such a long time are just almost desperate to get back out there and get their bodies moving, get the blood pumping, get the oxygen flowing through the body, and um, but also, more importantly, re-engage with their communities. Obviously, it's great for people to, to get involved in, in fitness training and strength training and, and these sorts of things, but you've got to do it sort of smartly as well. There's no point exercising for exercise sake. So 
what what sort of things should people be focusing on if they if they want to get involved with some with some strength training first of all? Yeah, it's a really good point, and we 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 talk a lot about there's a very big difference between exercise and training, and, and exercise is really just moving and doing anything that's movement um, that slightly raises your heart rate, whereas training is is exercising or moving with a purpose. There's a desired outcome, and so when it comes to strength training and in particular, I think the hard thing for people to um, to get their head around, and, and it's really uh, really challenging now with social media and all these influencers who look fantastic and so on, but it takes a long time. Strength training is a journey. Um, and, you know, the easiest analogy is looking at a player who comes into the AFL when they're first drafted and then take a look at them in five or six years' time and just, just have a snapshot of how their body's changed. And it, it's really hard work to... Um, change your body significantly to, to see significant strength gains. Um, but the key to it is, is just to be consistent. And we feel that if you can um, engage in a fun community environment like we do at Body Fit Training, then people are more likely to want to come back. And if they want to come back, they'll get results um, purely by the fact that they're, they're training more and they're being more consistent. It's, it's really hard sometimes to um, train on your own or people set unrealistic goals. So most importantly is enjoy the journey don't don't set unrealistic goals take it slow have fun um and the results will come as you've mentioned you've you've come out of the elite uh, afl environment and and with body fit training there's been some other elite sportsmen uh, that have got involved with franchises just take us through some of the names that uh, have got involved Yes, well, well, mate, I believe you're a bomber. So um, we've got a couple of your your men in our camp um, with Dyson Heppel and Zach Merritt, um, Piers Hanley uh, and Jordan Burke from the Brisbane Lions, and, and Piers obviously recently with the Gold Coast, uh, doing a great job up in Miami. Um, we've got the Abuson brothers who played played NRL. Um, the two brothers, one played for for Melbourne Storm, actually. The other, Mitch, is the games record holder for the Roosters. Um, we're really, really pleased that. We've got um, Nick Rewalt, uh, George Bailey and Tim Payne um, who have purchased the whole of Tasmania, actually. They've bought all eight franchises down there. Um, and I'm not sure if... Uh, I'm sure you were watching the test and Tim's fantastic innings the other day, but we were really, really, really stoked to see that Tim had um, offered to go to Kookaburra and the ICC and put the BFT logo on the, on the base of his bat. So um, we're really wrapped to see him um, make a great innings the other night. And we've also got Matt Thomas and and um, from from Port Adelaide and Richmond and Daniel Stewart who have been with us since day one. So that's really pleasing as well. It's not something that we've targeted to be honest. The athletes, it's um, I think they just resonate with the style of training that we're doing. It's something that they're familiar with. Um, we do sessions like uh, proprioception and injury prevention type sessions, and that's a part of their weekly routine as athletes. So I think the programming and and the methodology resonates with them, but um, yeah, it's great great to have elite athletes in our in our camp, and um, it also gives our other franchises and trainers um, a little bit of a boost when they see those guys coming in and doing training or or just rubbing shoulders with them. It's, it's a fantastic um, thing for our business to have. Yeah, for sure. And uh, obviously, you've worked with a lot of uh, elite AFL players across those three clubs. But uh, one man that I do look after here is uh, Bobby Murphy. Uh, who you would have worked with at the Western Bulldogs. Just You got any stories about Bob? You look at him, he wasn't the sort of bloke that was throwing too much tin around the gym. But uh, what was Bob like to work with? 
No, you're right. Bob wasn't Bob wasn't big on throwing the uh, steel around, but um, uh, he's uh, mainly because he was mainly ejected from the gym because of his choice of music. As we know, Bob's a yes, a, an eclectic character, and um, his choice of music wasn't the most motivating in, in the gym environment. So often, uh, he when it was his turn to be on um, music duty in the gym, he was uh, ousted from the boys by the boys, I should say. But um, you know, his tattoo on his left chest is testament to his love of music and. Um, the, the character that he is he's, he's a very good guy um, very fortunate to work with someone like Bobby is an, ex, he's an exceptional athlete uh, whilst he's, he's pretty wiry and there's not much of him he's actually quite powerful and um, very agile and very aerobic so uh, yeah he certainly didn't enjoy the gym too much but through his ACL injury um, he was forced to and I think he actually developed a bit of a love-hate relationship with it just quietly <laughs> <laughs> Uh, he's a good man, Bobby. Now, it's, we've got some real-time feedback here on the temper text. Got uh, Adrian from Adelaide saying, I've been a member of BodyFit for 18 months. I've lost eight kilos and made a heap of new friends. Such a great environment. So certainly uh, Adrian uh, from Adelaide is uh, certainly pr- pleased with BodyFit training. Before I let you go, Cameron, uh, you're also a personal trainer for Princess Di. Now, I'm not going to ask you yeah. about that uh, too much, but uh, The Crown, it's a big show. We're going to see you uh, pop up on The Crown, a little uh, guest appearance on The Crown at any stage. Uh, look, I, I don't think you'll see me on the crown. And there, there's been a lot of people who think that there's some similarities um, in, in the appearance of, uh, of Harry and I, but I can confirm that those dates don't line up. But, um, <laughs> but uh, we're no, not going there. Um, I was very fortunate. No, we're not going there. I was very, I was, I was very young. I was very fortunate, and um, in some in some way, just in the right place at the right time. To be quite honest. <laughs> Uh, you've had a great journey, and uh, Body Fit Training uh, is doing some wonderful things as well. Cam, thanks for your time today. Have a great Christmas and a safe new year as well. Thanks, Julian. Appreciate having me on. Great to talk from Cameron Falloon from Body Fit Training, and uh, plenty more coming up on SEN Mornings. A reminder Australian batting star Steve Smith, not too far away. Back to SEN Mornings. Been a big morning, and plenty more still to come. Just some news through from the Cricket uh, Australia and the Australian Cricket Team. Steve Smith, he's just been shuffled down the order a little bit uh, to about 11.35 uh, today. But Brad Abbott's been good enough uh, to, to come up the order and he'll open the batting uh, after 11 o'clock. So still Brad Ebert and Steve Smith to come. We've been talking a lot uh, about the AFL fixture uh, so far this morning and uh, plenty of still coming through on the temper text machine. Uh, one here talking about Queensland footy. Another missed opportunity Great momentum built in Queensland this year and a chance to start the new season with a bang. So why schedule Gold Coast away to West Coast in round one? They should have had a winnable home game to start to keep momentum going. Imagine promoting their first game for the next three months, building up interest. Yes, but round one's not everything. We get obsessed with round one and we we analyse who's people are playing in round one. But round one, I know it sounds a bit like a coach, but... It's only worth four points, the same as round two, three, four, and five. So uh, I'm not, I haven't got it in front of me. I'm not sure who Gold Coast play in their first home game, but they can certainly build that up for three months. Our first home game is against such and such. Uh, get along, and uh, and there's no reason why they can't be competitive against the Eagles in round one uh, anyway. But uh, I take your point, but I don't think it, it's not all about round one, and uh, the Suns can certainly promote their early games uh, up there on the Gold Coast, and certainly that they have shown the last couple of years that uh, they they do race out of the blocks, and they were absolutely flying 
uh, this year as well. So they're a dangerous team to play uh, at home in the early stages of the year. And uh, let's hope from their point of view they can they can get some wins later in the season as well. They, they've started the last couple of years really well. They had a lot of close losses this year, and we saw the Brisbane Lions uh, have that a couple of years ago, and then that, they, they turned it around. They won those close games, and suddenly they went from a, a bottom four or five team into the top four. Not saying the Suns can do that, but they have shown uh, they are certainly at closing the gap. Also, we talked about... Uh, these four generational teams. Robbo's picked his best 22 that only has two Tigers. I think the, the common thought is the Tigers, this current team, and they're not finished yet. They don't quite have the same level of talent as Hawthorne, Geelong, and the Lions, the other great teams of the 21st century. But uh, here's one saying, can I remind you that Sydney Stack has talent and is not that important? Effectiveness is far more important, and Richmond have a lot of effective players. I think there's no doubt... Uh, that That is true. Uh, they have players that completely play their role. And we had Wayne Campbell on drive who said he was at the, the prelim final. He just watched the game, but he also watched the way Richmond play and the way they set up. And he said he's never seen a team so organised when they don't have the footy in hand. Interesting too, Peter Sumich, who's coached Sydney Stack before, says he really hopes Richmond give him another chance. A couple of COVID breaches uh, this year, uh, his future, he, but Sydney Stack believes, is hanging uh, by the balance. But uh, Peter Sumich says he's only 20 years old. He's still learning. He's a good kid, and he could be an excellent footballer. So he hopes the Tigers um, keep him on uh, next year. Richmond will wait for that process to go through the court uh, before making any comment. As we uh, mentioned, a big hour coming up. Brad Ebert will join us after the break. We'll chat some life after footy and also some great fundraising he's doing uh, for the CFA over there in Adelaide with his wine label with current Port Adelaide captain Tom Jonas. And we'll finish the show with some cricket talk, chatting with Australian star Steve Smith. Welcome back to Mornings. Julian DeStoop with you. Brad Ebert, uh, the retired Port Adelaide star, not too far away. We're just talking, too, about uh, the possible delays in the start of the A-League season due to this COVID outbreak in New South Wales. It might have an effect, too, on the AFLW season. Crows uh, chairman not chairman, sorry, CEO Andrew Fagan spoke on 5AA this morning saying it basically uh, he got a call earlier today, off a call earlier with the AFL. The CEO's got pulled onto a quick call to acknowledge that given what's happening in New South Wales at the moment, to stay alert, that's in terms of the AFLW season. We'll probably have some calls over Christmas to see whether that might impact the start of the season. That will be a watching brief. I guess this is going to be the way it is for the next 12 months or so. So let's hope uh, for the AFLW season there is no interruptions. Brad Ebert uh, finished his career this year. Unfortunately, it wasn't with a grand final appearance uh, so close. That heroic act, his last act in AFL football, uh, will never be forgotten. And Brad's been good enough uh, to join us on the line. We're going to talk some footy, but also going to talk some wine and some fantastic fundraising he's doing with the current uh, Port Adelaide captain in Tom Jonas. Uh, Brad, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you very much for having me, mate. Uh, pleasure. Great to have you on. Uh, first of all, what's it like? It's only been a couple of months now in retirement. Uh, the boys are back training as well. How's that uh, How's that sitting all with you? <laughs> yeah, mate. Uh, no, I'm very content. Very content. I saw a little news the other week where the boys were running around, and, um, yeah, there certainly wasn't any, uh, any envy in my uh, viewing of that. So, mate, I'm, um, yeah, very content, very happy, and, um, and, yeah, happy doing other things and being with the family and, um, like I said, a bit of hospital stuff and looking towards next. So, mate, it's been uh, been good. And we we know you had some troubles with concussion this year and obviously you had that big incident uh, with your final act in yeah. AFL football. I think I heard you say not long ago that you would get a, a bit of a brain scan and check everything out. Have you done that or is that still to come? Uh, really, it was more just so, like last year, I went over to Melbourne and had a bit of a scan. And, um, yeah, I think that as time goes, I'll, I'll probably still just need a... Um, 
yeah, check in with the the right people and and make sure that we're sort of you know crossing uh, dotting the i's and crossing the t's and um, yeah, just making sure everything's all cool like in that sense. But mate, I feel feel 100. I'm feeling back to back to feeling good and um, and yeah, okay with with it all. Um, but yeah, like I said, it was probably just the the recurrence of knocks and the ease of concussion that was sort of coming off a pretty innocuous sort of knocks, I guess. But um, forced my hand in the end and. Um, yeah, I was trying to give it away. So, no, mate, like I said, I'm, I'm okay with it all being done and, um, yeah, happy that um, that I'm feeling physically and mentally fine. We've seen a few footballers uh, go into the wine game. Uh, Dylan Grimes is one. Jordan Lewis is another. Yeah. Uh, our own Wispy yeah. Watson, Timmy Watson as well. Um, just take us through, uh, talk us about Hey Diddle Wines, how that all came about. Yeah, yeah, mate. That was, um, so Tom Jonas and my... I sort of went to him about four years ago now and said, look, I'm keen to, you know, dabble in it and give it a bit of a go. And uh, I knew a guy, Ben Chipman, his name is, is a winemaker and a business owner of Tom Foolery Wines in the Barossa. Um, and I sort of just went to him and said, look, mate, I'm keen. What should I do? And he sort of said, well, let's, you know, start from the ground up. I'll sort of show you the ropes. And so come vintage time, we sort of get out there when we can and help out with, you know, a, bit of, a little bit of harvest, not too much of that, and a bit more winemaking and, um, and then really the rest of the operations is all up to us. So, um, you know, at the moment we just released a Port Adelaide 150th anniversary tawny. Um, and so really everything's just running out pretty much my back room, to be honest with you. So, <laughs> mate, packing boxes and getting orders sorted. And um, it's been pretty much a full-time job since I finished, just trying to get all that sort of up and running and, um, you know, sourcing the right fruits and doing all that sort of stuff. It's all really us. So, mate, it's been awesome. It's been a good good experience. And, um, and yeah, it's been been a bit of a, a progression over the last few years where we started off with the Shiraz and we've sort of just grown from there to, to include some whites this year and I guess that's probably where you um, step in with the whole reverse Tremina and the stuff with the CFS but yeah it's just one of those ones where it's just I don't know evolved over time and um, and happily you know, growing organically so it's been fun. Where'd the name come from? Oh mate that was a bit of a footy slang um, like PJ and I were sort of spitballing one day and trying to just sort of think about different things and um, so you know like when BT's commentating he's talking about kicking it through the high to diddle or the high to diddle we sort of went from that and, um, and mate that's sort of what it went from so it was more just TJ coming from the east side of town me from the west going through the middle and um, yeah I don't know it was a bit of a, a fun take on things sort of trying to keep it yeah pretty much trying to keep it away from football but at the same time having those connotations because that's obviously where where it all came about and where we sort of started so um yeah anyway that's sort of where it was where it was formed it was a devastating uh, time of the year for so many australians uh, with the bushfires new south wales victoria south australia and adelaide weren't immune as well and uh just yeah. take us through uh, what what you're doing with hey diddle wines and also there's a, a bit of a personal connection for you as well yeah so i guess um so each so last year we did san Gervaisi where um, just a limited release, and we released um, you know, five dollars from every bottle we gave to Movember Foundation. Whereas this year, um, we actually got our hands on a bit of Adelaide Hills fruit, and, and obviously, you know, the hills were pretty devastated by the bushfires, and, and we knew that there was you know people up there that were hurt and, and taking their toll. And CFS were, were brilliant in it all. So um, we teamed up with Damon Kerner, who's from another winery up in the hills, um, Kerner Wines. We um, had a few white wines made, and, and yeah, we did a 900 bottle release of this Gewurz Tremina, it's called. It's a bit of a, a different style of white wine, um, but the fruit came from the Adelaide Hills, and so we just thought it was fitting that, you know, $5 from every bottle will go to the CFS, saying that, you know, they were um, working pretty hard last summer, and we just thought it was, 
you know, in a year where the hills were pretty damaged and, and pretty smashed up by the fires, it's the, the least we could then sort of do to, to give back a little bit. And yeah, like the personal touches, so dad's a fireman as well, so I sort of see what he does day in, day out. And, um, you know, the CFS are obviously there giving, giving it all up for um, just volunteers, you know, volunteering. So we just thought, you know, at least um, do a little bit to give back to, to that community. So yeah, that's what we've sort of decided to do. Can you explain to me what a co- convert Tremina is? Yeah, so it's a bit of a, um, it, it normally is like an old German um, white wine that uh, is normally quite fruity and, and very sweet, whereas, yeah, I don't know, ours is sort of a bit more of a contemporary take on it, um, not as sweet, a little bit more acidity, nice and dry, but yeah, look, mate, with with all of the wines here, um, I don't know how much you sort of know about it, I'm sort of slowly learning and slowly evolving my sort of taste. Yeah, it was one of those ones where we were really keen on doing a Riesling, and um, and then this block came up. Um, you know, I don't know if you know Jeff Hardy, the K1 at Jeff Hardy's up in the hills. They had a bit of fruit there, and um, they had this Gewurz Tremina, and it was really, you know, just I don't know, caught our curiosity. So, uh, yeah, we thought we might as well give it a crack as well, and, and made it turn out nice. So, you know, we, uh, for the little amounts that we uh, know about it, I think it tastes pretty good. So, uh, anyway, it's it's evolving in my, in my palate anyway. It's been good. <laughs> Sounds like something you could sip on up at Harndorf for one afternoon. No, uh, it does, does sound that way, doesn't it? Absolutely. <laughs> hey, we've got a, t- a temper texter here saying, uh, where can we get the Port Adelaide 150 tawny from? Ah, uh, yeah, so that's on heydiddle.com.au. It's on our website at the moment. Um, and really, you know, obviously for Christmas it's a bit tough to get it out to people. But, um, yeah, we'll be shipping it. You know, we've still got a few thousand, couple thousand bottles left, so... We'll still be shipping that through Jan and Feb and, and that sort of stuff. But, yeah, heydiddle.com today. Use where you can go and um, pick up your bottle. And like I said, I'll be shipping it uh, probably later on this afternoon or tomorrow from the, the back room. So, uh, yeah, anyway, that's, that's where it's at. There's a few bottle shops and stuff like that that have got it as well. But, yeah, I don't need to go naming everyone. Yeah, awesome. Uh, so Port Adelaide fans, I'm sure, would love to uh, get a drop. Great year for the footy club, but so close to a, a grand final appearance. Is that played on your mind much uh, since uh, that fateful night against Richmond? Have you moved on pretty oh. quick, or does it still sit in the back of your mind? Oh, it certainly hurt, mate. That's um, and especially because that was the last sort of crack. That was the last hurrah for me personally. And um, you know, we've had a couple of close encounters over my time. I look think back to 2014, yeah. the same sort of thing with Hawthorne. And so, you know, for us, um, it certainly hurt. But then at the same time, we gave it a fair crack, and um, and I walk away personally from the game content that I'd given it my all um, and as a team I knew that we were coming from a long way back so I was really impressed with, with the way the, the boys galvanised this year and, um, and really played some strong consistent footy so it was um, yes disappointing but yeah like I said you sort of you're able to move on and um, yeah get excited about what's next in life and, and I'm sure for the boys that missed out as well like you know they, they get another crack this year and the team's going to be you know, only better for the experience, I'm sure. Yeah, you'll sit back as, a, I guess, a Port fan in, in 2021. We've seen the, the, the quality of your mm. young players, Aaliyah Aaliyah coming in, Aratio Fantasia. What, what gives you the confidence this group can go on and, and hopefully, if it, from their point of view, uh, go a couple of steps further in 2021? Yeah, I think that, um, well, like you probably touched on it. The young guys playing some really good footy, but there was a lot of other guys that probably were untried as well. And then there was just that real depth in our list this, this year that I was pretty impressed with and, and guys that, you know, I was really confident we'd be able to play and step up and play really strong AFL football that just really never, never got a chance because there was no SNFL competition to, to sort of pressure case or, you know, the team was playing that well that they just never got a go. So there's going to be a number of those sort of guys that'll, 
that'll be consistently pressing and probably getting games. Um, and that's only then going to make the, the team stronger. And, and like you said, you get a Razio and uh, a Lear, a Lear, and I think they'll be some really good acquisitions for the team as well. Just probably a Lear sort of adding that versatility, height down back, and a Razio can do what he can do. So, no, mate, I think they're uh, poised for a good season and in a really good position. What's 2021 look like for you? Mate, uh, I'm sort of just working through that at the moment. Uh, the wine sort of stuff's been, been ramping up, so that's keeping me busy. But um, at the same time, I'm working away on an MBA uh, through UniSA. And, like, I, I love hanging out with my kids. I've got two kids, a wife. Um, so there's plenty of that, plenty of time with the family, which has been great. Um, and then I'll probably look at, you know, getting a job soon as well, probably in the sports sort of space and, uh, or in the wine space, really, and, and work, getting a full-time job, I guess. So that'll be, that'll be it, mate. Hopefully, uh, yeah, get on a few holidays and enjoy the time as well. Absolutely. Now, now your chairman, David Kosh, we know he loves uh, jumping in front of a camera, but uh, your coach, yeah. or your former coach now, Kenny Hinckley, did some very nice work, some good acting skills on that uh, that KFC promo a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. Uh, was that a bit <laughs> unlike Ken? Or would the boys sit back and watch that? What do they think? Oh, mate, that's, uh, I reckon he doesn't mind a bit of the camera time when he uh, when he gets the chance. He's a little bit shy at times, but then when he gets the chance, he really uh, opens up, so... I saw Hartsy's one as well with the drums and doing all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, they've uh, well, KFC's a big, big coup for the club. So uh, I think they'll do anything to to make sure they're pleasing those sort of guys as well. How many takes do you reckon that took with Koshy and Kenny? Oh, one take. One oh, take. rubbish! <laughs> no, 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 no. He would have been there all day, mate. He would have been there all day. Yeah. And just finally, just one more on the concussion. You know, it's becoming, we've obviously got the summer of cricket now and we've seen what's happened with young Will Pekoski. He's had nine separate concussions, not all from cricket. Some have been from football as well. Given you, you've been through it to a degree, do you sort of understand how someone like a young Will Pekoski would be feeling right now? Uh, yeah, I certainly, certainly understand where he's, uh, well, you know, he's probably having a fair, a pretty tough time at the moment with, with those sort of things. Yeah, I've sort of had my fair share of my time as well. So you do, you you, you understand, um, you know, what to be thinking and how to be going about it all and stuff. But um, yeah, I, th- I think that the, the doctors and the medicos these days are are, um, are really switched on to the way they need to treat it, what they need to do, and, and it, it's forever evolving for the better. You know, so I think that the um, you know the protocols in place around concussion, the, um, the testing and that sort of stuff is continuously getting better. So um, yeah, I think that. A lot of it we are talking about a lot at the moment, but I think that um, behind the scenes there's a lot of stuff going into it to make sure that uh, yeah the players are going to be uh, healthy and, and be okay. So um, yeah, like like I said, I, I sort of gave it away in the end, and, um, and I'm content with that. And I'm sure that you know you see a few other players in the AFL that did the same, and, and I'm not you know with Will he's only a young guy, so it's it's tough because um, yeah you hope that he's able to recover and, and get back and play and stuff, but it's uh, yeah the they're scary stuff, uh, scary things, I guess, especially when you have sort of nine or so as a, as a young kid. Well, Brad, it was a fantastic con- career. Congratulations. Uh, good luck with Hey Diddle Wines and, and well done on the fundraising you're doing for the CFS uh, over there in Adelaide. And uh, good luck with life after footy starting in 2021. Yeah, appreciate it, mate. Thank you very much and Merry Christmas. You too. Great to have Brad Ebert on the line. Uh, Steve Smith from the Australian cricket team, not too far away on SEN Mornings. It's funny how um, in this game it's often one shot that can, can just give you everything you've been searching for as a batter. It's probably the first full shot hit off your match. Yeah, that, I think I was on four um, and just felt to the middle of the bat and it felt amazing. So, look, I, I think all summer I've been really confident. I've been batting well, just without rhythm. 
as I said before, to, to find some rhythm in the middle. Often it can be one shot away. But look, I just kept working hard. I've been in this situation many times before and you, you know how quickly it can turn. But at the same time, you you know, you go into the next game and you have to start again. There's another job to, to do. But yeah, probably that shot in particular felt really nice. Welcome back to SEN Mornings. That was Australian opening batsman Joe Burns talking about his second innings half century in the first test uh, over there in Adelaide against India. Lucky enough to be joined by star Australian batsman Steve Smith. Uh, Steve, thank you so much for your time. No worries. Uh, first of all, I'll ask you about Joe Burns. You um, saw him firsthand. There was so much pressure on him uh, going into that test last week. What should we read into that second innings performance from Joe? Yeah, I thought it was a really good performance. Um, you know, it was gritty. Obviously, he got hit pretty early and um, was in a, a fair amount of discomfort. So um, to to be able to get through that and sometimes when you get hit like that, you actually focus a little bit more. Um, you know, you, you don't want to get hit again and you're in pain. So you're watching that ball really, really closely. And I thought he did that beautifully. He played a, a really good knock and... Um, you know, scoring the winning runs in a test match sometimes can be the, the hardest thing to do in the fourth innings of a game. So the way he played and, and to be there at the end, 50 not out, I'm sure he'll take a, a great deal of confidence from that. It was a remarkable first session on day three where Josh Hazelwood and Pat Cummins couldn't have bowled any better. It was a remarkable watching on. What was it like out there on the field just seeing these two guys just destroy such a quality batting lineup? What was it like out there? Yeah, it was great. Um, you know, we, we we haven't we've been on the other end of those um, those kind of days a couple of times. So to be on the the right side of it, where it seemed like we were just getting a nick every second ball, um, it was it was pretty special. I think the length of the boys' bowl was probably as good as I've seen um, uh, from them. Uh, the, the consistency was was incredible, and fortunately, we were able to get all the rewards. And um, yeah, those guys set up the test match for us. Obviously, India is going to make some some big changes for the second test. A couple, at least, uh, forced with Virat Kohli going home and Mohamed Shami, unfortunately, out for the rest of the series with that broken arm. The, the, the way you beat them in the end and, and what happened in that second innings for them, psychologically, how important is that, do you think, for the rest of the series? Um, yeah, look, it was a, a nice display. I think, um, you know, their batters will probably be looking to having a look at some footage and seeing what they what more they could do. Um, to be fair, there were some, some pretty good balls in there and um, fortunately we were able to get the Knicks. But, um, you know, you just got to keep moving forward and it's another game of cricket. Um, hopefully our, our bowlers can can learn from what they did the other day and continue bowling that, that, that length to the, to the Indian batters and hopefully they can keep taking the edges. Um, but, look, it was, a, it was a good performance from us. Um, nice to go 1-0 up in the series and will take a lot of confidence from it. Obviously, the bowlers did a fantastic job uh, in the match. As a batting group, the first innings was was pretty disappointing. What, what, what have you taken out of that? And certainly, you know, the field that was set for you was pretty interesting that India set up. What have you taken out of the, the performance as a batting group from that first innings in particular? Yeah, it probably wasn't our, our best display. Um, but, you know, we've had a look at a few of their bowlers now and, and how they're potentially going to go about things going forward. So... We'll take the learnings from that. Um, you know, I thought Tim Payne played really well, um, changed the momentum of the game, um, came out and played with, with really positive intent, um, got us into a, a decent position there um, that night on day two. So, um, look, a few things we can take out of it, but we'll, we'll keep moving forward, keep working hard, and 
hopefully we can can get some big first innings runs in the, the next test match. Unfortunately, uh, COVID's reared its ugly head again up in New South Wales, and obviously that puts the Sydney test in a bit of doubt. What, what sort of information have you had from Cricket Australia about the potential of that test going ahead? Yeah, not a lot at this stage. Um, it's sort of just business as usual for us. Um, we'll, we'll head down to Melbourne, prepare for, for Boxing Day, and uh, I'm sure there's people, um, you know, in, in higher places looking at um, all different options and, and talking to the government and they're, they're coming up with the decisions that need to be made. So um, as players, we're, we're guided by them and the medical staff and we'll just continue to prepare and, and go about business as, as usual. Well, obviously, the MCG deck's been well spoken about. It was a pretty good wicket uh, last year. What are you expecting this time around? Good question. Um, I think last year was was a good wicket. Um, I thought that was a pretty even contest between bat and ball, which is, I guess, what people want to see. So, um, yeah, we'll wait and see until we can have a look at it. But, uh, yeah, hopefully something similar will be good. A lot of talk on SEN yesterday about this, just the quality of this Australian attack right now, the three pacemen uh, and the spinner. Um, obviously, Pat Cummins has raced to 150 uh, test wickets. Just... How good is this bowling group? And you've been involved in a few bowling groups in your time, but how good is this current one with the with the form that I guess that all four have shown in recent times? Yeah, look, it's a you know a quality bowling lineup. Um, I think they all complement each other really well, um, and they're still learning. Um, you know, I think they'll they'll take a lot out of uh, the performance the other day. Um, as I said before, I think the length they bowled was just as good as I've seen them bowl. Uh, it was impeccable and and got the reward. So they'll, they'll learn some stuff out of that and hopefully can, can keep them implementing it going forward. doesn't sound like Will Pekoski is going to be available for this test. He still hasn't been in the nets so far. As someone that you've had a few uh, knocks to the head in, in your time, what sort of conversations have you had uh, with Will and, and how's he going at the moment? Yeah, I think he's going okay. Um, it's, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a tough one. Um, you know, everyone's mental state's different. Um, when it comes to these kind of things and um, for him it's it's just going to be you know working with the, the people he's close to getting his head around what needs to be looked at going forward and and first of all getting your your mind in a good place to go out and, and play um, so yeah we'll, we'll wait and see what happens there but we've, we've seen Will's um, you know he's, he's a quality player he's he scored some big runs at the domestic level and um, yeah I guess he'll I don't know, he'll, he'll get an opportunity at some point, I dare say. Is David Warner a chance to play in this test? It seems like the, the sort of male the last 24 hours is he's, he's up against it. How's he, how's he coming along? Yeah, I'm not sure. Um, yeah, I think he's, he's working closely with the, the medical staff every day. Um, I think he's down in Melbourne, so he's there to try and prepare for a test match, and I guess we'll wait and see. Just talking about the concussion there, obviously there's been a bit of talk about the future of, of the short ball. And I noticed Ian Chappell said that maybe at times if a, if a lower order batsman's been peppered with short balls, that uh, maybe it, it's time for the umpire to step in. What, what, what's your feeling around, I guess, the future of the short ball? And, and particularly, do we have to be careful when, you know, tail enders are, are, are copping a barrage or is it all is it all fair in love and war? Well, it seems like Ian Chappell's got an outlandish statement after every single match at the moment. Um, so I think uh, from, from my point of view, short ball's part of the game. Um, I think, you, you know, we've seen over the years, there's been some really good battles. Um, and yeah, I, I don't think it should be outlawed at all.
What about, and so, I mean, it seemed to be back in the day that we, it was almost an, a done thing that you didn't bounce tail enders, but that seems to have changed. Is, it, is that all okay in, from your point of view? Yeah, no dramas from me. No dramas. And you mentioned before, uh, going back, that with India being bowled out for 36, the Australian team's been on the end of, of some you know humiliating innings like that before. How have you bounced back in those circumstances and, and how are you expecting India to bounce back? Um, well, you kind of have to just forget about them, really. Um, sometimes they happen in the game. Um, teams can get on a roll and and there can be some, some pretty good bowling. So um, that happens. Um, how do I expect India to bounce back? Um, I don't know. I'm sure they've, they've looked at footage and seen how they can improve um, and will come out hard. They've got some quality players. So uh, I guess time will tell. We'll wait and see. And just finally, we only saw a little bit of Cameron Green. Didn't last too long with the bat. Everyone's excited about this young man uh, around Australia, what he can do with both the ball and the bat. Uh, what have you liked about him so far, not only as a cricketer, but uh, his temperament? How did you sort of analyse how he handled uh, such a big occasion over there in Adelaide? No, I thought he, he looked really good um, for the for the time he was out there with the bat. Um, I thought his, his bowling was, you know, I think he's, there's not too often you, you get a guy that's 200 centimetres that can bowl 145 kilometres an hour and, and batting your top six as well. So, you know, we're we're incredibly excited about what he brings to the table and um, the more he plays and the more exposure he gets, he's, he's going to get better and better. Well, Steve, uh, thank you so much for your time this morning on SEN Mornings. Have a great Christmas. We look forward to Boxing Day and let's hope uh, the New Year's test uh, can get underway in Sydney as well. Thank you. Cheers. Great to chat to Steve Smith from the Australian cricket team. You got any thoughts uh, on the short ball? Uh, Ian Chappell believes that uh, it's almost getting it of the fact of Mohammed Shami uh, getting hit on the arm, broken arm, that maybe it's uh, not quite fair game to be heavily bouncing uh, some of these tail order batsmen, tail lower order batsmen that uh, aren't sort of used to the short ball and can't play it as well uh, as some of the best batsmen around the world. Keen to get your thoughts on that after this uh, quick news break with Celeste. Thank you, Celeste. Uh, Steve Smith, uh, pretty forthright there with his comments about the short ball. He believed it's a big part of the game and was uh, quick to dismiss this notion from Ian Chappell uh, that uh, maybe some of the lower order batsmen should be protected against a barrage of short pitch bowling. I'll, I'll, I'll touch on that article from Ian Chappell ver- very shortly, but uh, give us a call, one three hundred seven three six seven three six. 736 if you've got any comments on the cricket or anything else we've been talking about uh, in the show today, including the AFL fixture for 2021. Send us a text, temper text, 0433. 98 11 16. Uh, Dennis from Geelong has jumped on the line. G'day, Dennis. G'day, Julian. How are you? I'm well, mate. How are you? Very well. Um, look, it's interesting to listen to Steve Smith. Um, he, he doesn't uh, come out with silly statements or, or uh, he's very reserved. Mm. He, uh, typical uh, Steve Smith. Uh, but and he's right, you know, uh, the short ball will always be part of cricket. And if he's, uh, you give Ian Chappell a bit of a serve, um, you know, I suppose as Ian gets older, he gets a bit sillier. But at the end of the day, um, it's like saying in football terms, well, we're going to get rid of a high, head-high tackle you, you, so that's banned from the game. You can't make a head-high tackle, um, which 
but the ferocity of some of the head high tackles, it's it, it's probably you know not as great as being hit as a the short ball, but uh, no, Steve Smith's right. Um, you know, it's got to be kept. It's part of the game. It's been there for what as long as the games existed. So um, you know, they're my thoughts. Yeah, it's an interesting point you make, Dennis, and you, you touch on um, Australian rules football there. And yet, yeah, we we still tackle and we tackle hard, and you know, you can we're not allowed to tackle high, but it does happen. But we have changed some rules to make sure we protect the head. We talk about sling tackles, slam tackles, etc. And I hundred percent agree with you, and I agree with Steve Smith that the, the talk of banning the bouncer altogether or banning the short ball uh, is too much. But given what we know about concussion now. Is it fair game for tail-end batsmen to be repeatedly on the end of short balls? Or is there a time, as Ian Chappell suggests, uh, that uh, the umpire needs to step in? What's your thought on that, Dennis? Because I remember growing up, and it was almost not the done thing. It was almost out of respect that you you didn't bounce the tail-enders. But that has completely changed in recent years. Look, in fairness, a lot of tail-end batsmen are, are far more capable with the bat than they were 20 or 30 years ago. But do you think there is a fine line we're walking uh, bowling a lot of short balls to, to guys that aren't that capable with the bat? Or should they be more capable with the bat given they're playing international cricket? Well, uh, some some teams, uh, their lineups uh, in, in the batting order, they go right down to um, the tail-enders. And you only see some of the tail-enders uh, that score 30, 40, 50, 60 runs and sometimes win matches. So... Um, then you draw another line and say, well, um, if that's the case, um, why can't we bowl short deliveries? Um, as long as there's there's a certain certain limit on the amount that you can do in one over, say it was you're allowed to do two short ball deliveries. Um, you know, yeah, I I, I just think that. Um, you know, it's fair game. It's like, uh, oh, well, um, you know, the interchange bench, um, young players uh, that are 18, 19, draft picks, maybe uh, you don't, uh, you can't lay a head-high tackle on um, on a 18, 19, 20-year-old. It, it, it then becomes a really, a really uh, complex, um, you know, Discussion and uh, I, I, I don't see that there are any answers. Uh, certainly, keep the short ball, but maybe monitor it um, on a uh, on a on a basis like uh, what you've mentioned. Um, I agree with you and all your comments and Steve Smith and maybe Ian Chappell, um, you know, uh, he had some bowlers uh, back in his day, and by heck, did they uh, bowl short balls. Yeah, he had a couple of express guys, didn't he? Uh, Dennis, thank you so much for your call. Uh, Marty from Melton also wants to join in the conversation. G'day, Marty. Hey, Jules, how you going, Good, mate, mate yourself? Yeah, good. Uh, you being a sport... Absolutely, no, won't talk change a decade ago. You're only allowed to bowl two and over to to a, to a certain batsman, so to one batsman. So they've already changed that rule. You can't bomb Barton two and over. And 
Shammy didn't get hit by a short ball, mate. Have a look at no, look I understand that. that. Replay. No. He got hit hit chest high. He just took his eyes off the ball completely. No, you're right, and and the rule is 41.62, which permits two short pitch deliveries passing above shoulder height. But the this is the rule. The bowling of short pitch deliveries is dangerous if the bowler's end umpire considers that taking in, con, into consideration the skill of the striker by their speed, length, height, and direction, they are likely to inflict physical injury on him. So Ian Chappell is just basically calling for the umpires at times to enforce a rarely used law designed to protect batters from dangerous short pitch delivery. So, yes, there is a limit, uh, but he's just maybe saying at times we need the tail enders uh, protected. Clearly, Steve Smith doesn't agree with that. And uh, looking at the temper text and uh, and your call, I think most people uh, seem to be in Steve Smith's camp here uh, and uh, certainly not Ian Chappell's. Uh, we'll take a quick break. Uh, Andrew from Perth. We'll get to you after the break on SEN Mornings. Welcome back to SEN Mornings. Julian DeStoot with you. We're talking about uh, the short pitch bowling uh, in cricket off the back of uh, Steve Smith giving Ian Chappell a bit of a clip for his suggestion that maybe some of the lower end batsmen or the tail enders uh, deserve a bit more protection from the short pitch bowling. Uh, interesting to hear the comments from uh, Indian great Sunil Gavaskar, who's over here commentating uh, on this test series. And uh, he certainly said, when will Pekoski's picked, if it is in this series, uh, he should expect a, a barrage of short deliveries, despite his history of concussions, saying, definitely, I think you would expect that to happen. Once you enter the ground, whether it's playing for your country or even playing for your state or club, you're going to cop it. So that were the comments of Indian great Sunil Gavaska. Uh, Andrew's uh, given us a call from Perth, wants to join in the conversation. G'day, Andrew. Uh, g'day, Jules. Um, I've just, uh, Sunil Gavaska's a, a nice lead in there. I think the the point is that you either have to ban short pitch bowling or it's open to everybody who walks out there to bat. I mean, uh, Pekoski's one of the best young batsmen in Australia and by extension one of the better young batsmen going around in world cricket. And um, he got hit and got concussion. So if someone with that talent and technique can yeah. cop it, then anybody can. So do you just say it's a risk and we ban it if you try and, and do it uh, on any other grounds, you just get stuck. I mean, Mohamed Shami really didn't get hit with that short a ball. He tried to clear space to, to obviously try and hit the bowler through the offside. The bowler followed him, um, and because of his bad technique, he got hit on the arm. That's It's, it's barely a short ball in yeah. that sense. And where, and where would you draw the line at what a tail ender is? Because there's been a lot of tail enders over the years who if you could only bowl... bowl full-length balls so that they knew they could get on the front foot every time, they'd look pretty good. It's the fear of the short ball that makes them tail-enders, <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah. So I don't know how you'd ever police it. So it's either you're in or you're out, right? Yeah, I think so. I think that, that would make it uh, very difficult. And you make the point there. I mean, Steve Smith's one of the best batsmen in the world, and, and he's copped a couple when he's batting. And, and Will Pekoski, I mean, a lot of his concussions uh, haven't come from cricket. Some came from footy. One came from a freakish... Uh, incident when he was uh, running uh, during a match. So uh, it's not like he's cop nine to the head from short pitch uh, bowling. Thanks for your call, Andrew. Let's go to John in Reservoir. G'day, John. Uh, good morning. Uh, this is short pitch bowling. Well, if you go back to the West Indies days when you had blokes like Malcolm Marshall, there weren't game to give them short pitch bowling. Because they knew what they were going yes. to cop good when point. it was the other way around. No, that's a very good point, and uh, yeah, uh, that you didn't want the the 
that gluttony of uh, West Indian fast bowlers uh, to be doing it to you uh, when you're batting. So, look, it's interesting. This has been a, a topic looking at the temper text uh, machine that's really got uh, people quite fired up. And I'd have to say 95% of the texts so far are certainly very supportive. Uh, of Steve Smith, one here saying, what's next? Speed, li- speed limit down to less than 130 kilometres uh, for uh, tail enders. Um, another one here saying, India has 1.3 billion people. Surely they've got... 11 uh, batsmen that have, you know, or 11 players that can bat sufficiently enough to tail enders to protect themselves. Um, a lot of people saying they're not happy with Ian uh, Chappell's comments. Another one, a couple of one, and Steve Smith's spoken about this himself, is um, maybe the issue is more with the helmet. If, if, if people are still if getting struck in the head and still getting concussion, maybe there's um, something we can do with the helmets to make them... Uh, even more safe. So uh, it's it's an emotive issue. I'm sure there'll be more on Steve Smith's comments uh, as the day uh, goes on. Uh, I know Bryce McGain is coming up uh, on SEN Afternoons, as is Ben Horn uh, from the Daily Telegraph, one of the great uh, cricket writers. So I'm sure the question of the short pitch ball uh, will also be asked of him. Got another text here just talking about some footy as well. Uh, Hawthorne supporter saying, uh, loving the show. I'm a Hawks fan. What do you think? Can John Patton stay on the park? Can James Warple and Tom Mitchell get back to their best? Uh, it is a good midfield with O'Meara in there if they play their best. That's from Matt. In Sydney, a couple of questions uh, there. It was interesting. Tom Mitchell came back and, and James Warple didn't play as well uh, this year. They certainly are similar type players. Certainly Warple seemed to uh, shine with the added responsibility in 2019 when he won the, the best and fairest in just his second year. We did see uh, early in his career, he did spend some time across half forward and uh, as an Essendon fan, we won't forget that time that he outmuscled uh, Michael Hurley in the goal square and uh, sealed the game late in uh, 2019. So maybe they can use him across half forward at time as well. But yeah, they certainly do need, and particularly now with Jack Gunston uh, out for the start of the season, uh, they do need a key forward to stand up. John Patton's body, unfortunately, suggested that uh, it's hard to trust his body to be out there you know, for 22 games or even the majority of the games in the season. Tim O'Brien's been there a long time and hasn't quite got there yet. And, uh, you know, Mitch Lewis has shown some ability. Uh, Didn't quite have the year that uh, a lot of Hawthorne fans would have been hoping for this year. So there is a lot of question marks uh, around the Hawks. They're clearly in a rebuild. Uh, They brought some good players in at the top of the draft. Uh, And uh, I don't think many people will be expecting them to play finals uh, next year. But uh, who knows? Um what the Hawks can do under Alistair Clarkson next year. Just another one uh, coming in here about the bouncer. When I watch the cricket, the bouncer looks very scary to face. But for the cricketers, it's a big part of the game and it really helps the bowlers. I'm only 10 years old, by the way. That's Noah of Footscray. So uh, Noah sounds like an inspiring young cricketer to me. And uh, he's a big fan uh, of the short ball. And as I say, that's certainly the the sentiment that's coming across, that the short ball should be here to stay and... uh, Everyone is fair game when it comes to the short ball. So uh, plenty more discussion on that uh, topic throughout the day from Steve Smith, who gave Ian Chappell a little bit of a backhander on the way through with his suggestion that uh, maybe some of these tail end batsmen need to be protected. Sam Hargraves is not too far away coming up uh, on the afternoons. Campbell Brown, Ben Horn, and Bryce McGain amongst his guests. We'll be back after the break to wrap up on SEN Mornings. Welcome back to SEN Mornings. Just about done for another show. The smooth sounding, and I saw him play golf the other day. The smooth swinging, too. Sam Hargraves will uh, 
join you after midday. Ben Horn, Bryce Begain, and Campbell Brown uh, amongst his guests this afternoon. Uh, remember, too, this Christmas the TAC is asking all Victorians to spend it wisely with the smartest advent calendar, encouraging safer driving with the help of Victoria's best brands and attractions. Each day reveals a new tip, trick, or gift designed to create joyous moments of valuable entertainment for the holiday season, both on and off the road. The smartest advent calendar from TAC. Find out more at tac.gov.au forward slash spend it wisely. Uh, last half an hour, I've certainly been taking plenty of calls and plenty of texts about this uh, issue about the short ball uh, in cricket. What's its future? Ian Chappell says we need to protect, or the umpires uh, need to protect some tail enders if they're copying uh, a number of short balls. Steve Smith made it pretty clear that uh, he doesn't agree. He said Ian Chappell seems to make outlandish comments after every test match these days. He says it's fair game. And uh, whether you're a batsman or a bowler, you do need to expect uh, some short pitch bowling. Another one here, certainly on the side of Steve Smith and not Ian Chappell. Why don't you just make bowlers redundant and just set up a bowling machine and aim to pitch in batsman's arc full length and be done with the art of bowling altogether? What a joke. So certainly that temper texter, a big fan of the short pitch ball. That's a fair point. I mean, it's a pretty tough game for the bowlers uh, these days. We don't get many pitches that uh, are friendly to the bowlers. You look at 2020 cricket and one-day cricket, the scores that are being uh, made it there. Is, it's a pretty tough game for the bowlers, and the short pitch ball can be a great weapon. And, and there is nothing. But I mean, Joffre Archer and Steve Smith, that battle they had uh, in the Ashes a couple of years ago uh, was pretty exciting, and uh, you couldn't turn off. So the short ball is certainly... Uh, a big part of cricket, as we say. Sam Hargraves will talk that issue when he speaks plenty of cricket uh, with Ben Horn from the Daily Telegraph. Bryce McGain from Big Bash Nation uh, will also join him. Thanks for your company on SEN Morning. It's been a big show. Steve Smith, Brad Ebert, uh, Michael Barlow amongst our guests. We'll do it all again uh, tomorrow. But coming up next, the smooth sounds of Sammy Hargraves. G'day, Mike Hussey here. Get on board Australia's best fantasy cricket game, KFC Supercoach BBL. It's fun, free and easy to play. Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005.